Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to another week. This is the Live Life Breakfast Show with Sincere Hogan and Mike Mahler. And another good day. Got a, a very popular guest on our show again today. But every time we bring him on, it's always some new nuggets, man. So it's not like we bring him on and talk about the same stuff every time. Except people that post selfies all the time. Somehow they always become the butt of all of our jokes. And I do, keyword butt, a.k.a. ass of our jokes. But so I don't I don't know if we can actually get through this episode without at least mentioning the selfie generation one more time, man. Well, I think we got it taken care of in the pregame show before we started recording. Yeah. So who knows? They yeah. may actually get a reprieve uh, this episode. <laughs> probably come up with some of the topics we're going to get into. But Christian Thibodeau's back, one of the best strength coaches in the game, one of our most popular guests. And it's always a pleasure to talk to him. Christian, welcome back. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Sincere. Very good to be here. As always, sorry about like the stuttering at the beginning because, as you know, it takes me about five minutes to get the adrenaline going and for my speech pattern to become normal. So thanks for having me and having the patience to suffer through these first five minutes. Yeah, I mean, most guys are finished in five minutes. So the fact that <laughs> you only five minutes <laughs> Talk about suffering. <laughs> She's like, damn, I didn't even get my panties off and you're already done. Shit. You were good. So, Mike, I think that your deadlift is going pretty well. Yeah, man, deadlift is going good. I'm, I'm experimenting with something new that I haven't tried before. I'm doing high-frequency deadlifts. I'm deadlifting four to five times a week. And what I'm doing is keeping the percentages between about 70 and 80% of one rep max. And never training the failure, usually about three sets, three sets of five, three. I just do a different weight each time. I don't, it's, it's not structured at all. I don't have this written down where I have an idea of what I'm going to do. I just go to the gym and I have a basic idea of what I'm going to lift. And if I feel stronger that day, I go a little bit heavier. If I don't, then I work on speed, technique, et cetera. But the frequent practice has worked really well for improving technique in a pretty short time frame meaning that I'm way more neurologically engaged with the deadlift. If I deadlift once a week, it takes a lot of sets to get your mind right, and it yep. always feels yep. awkward. But when I'm deadlifting five times a week, I walk in the gym now. I barely warm up. I just do a couple light sets, and then I go right into my working sets. And I've only been doing this for maybe about three weeks, but it's, it's already improving the groove dramatically. So I think that – I think the here's the thing about infrequent training. If, if you push – the deadlift, for example, hard once a week, that's fine. You have to push it hard because you're only doing it once a week. But you're missing out on several practice sessions as well, where if you keep the intensity lower and you can do it several times a week, it's like Vladimir Zatiorsky said, is the more often you can train and recover, you know, the more progress you're going to make. No, I believe in that. I personally, I've experienced it. But, of course, I come from an Olympic lifting background. And then right. the weighted thing, we snatch in the clean and drink pretty much every day. I believe right. that the uh, higher the technical component of the lift and the more, like, the structured, it, it, the more complex the structure is because you have many different muscles being involved at the same time, the more it's going to benefit some, from submaximal high-frequency practice. So the Olympic right. lift, I, I, I've had my best gains training them five days a week. Uh, mm-hmm. A few years back, I, I was uh, specializing on the snatch grip hypo. And I went from uh, 265 to 400 by doing snatch grip high poles every single day, twice a day, but never maximum weight. Just that's crazy improvement. Uh, I think that the bench press would probably not respond to the same pattern, but the the military press would. 
because the military, military press is, is sure. complex. Yeah. yeah, and I think that it, I think that lifts that starts from a dead start, like where you don't have like an eccentric before the mm-hmm. lift. I think they would benefit more from those higher frequency training sessions. The military press right. and the deadlift are probably the two lifts that will benefit the most from this approach. Right, right. I think the key is it takes a lot. Where people screw up is that it takes a lot of discipline, meaning that so much of us, so many of us have that mentality of you want to feel wiped out. You want to feel beaten down after mm. a workout. Otherwise, it wasn't a good workout. But with this kind of workout, you should feel fresh at the very end. You do your three sets, you should move feel right better. on. You should feel energized. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's no, why I I'm able to train so often is because I do feel energized, so I look forward to it. So I, I hit the deadlifts hard yesterday. I'm probably going to go back and do it again today because I don't feel beaten up at all. I feel my back feels better than ever. When I was deadlifting heavy once a week, I mean, for several days afterwards, your body would feel stiff, and then finally you would recover in time for the next session. But I, I hated that feeling of just being stiff and sore for several days. It, it makes you dread the but next I, workout. You know, just like the next time you have to do it, you're like, I don't want to feel like that again, but I have to do it. You know, it's kind of like how people feel about bad, like a shitty job. We're coming home to a shitty relationship. It's like, ah. That's the point I was going to make, is that you can train a lift often or you can train it hard. Because as you mentioned, Mike, if you train it only once a week, if you want to stimulate growth, you absolutely have to push that lift hard. But with the, right. with the bench press, I guess it's fine. Because the bench press, when you're only working your chest, shoulders, and triceps, it won't really create that much systemic fatigue. But if you right. push that deadlift hard, it's even worse than a squat. A squat, you can train it pretty heavy pretty often, and, and that's going to be fine. But right. a deadlift, when you push really, really hard, it's going to cripple. I know that when I'm yeah. maxed out on the deadlift, I'm, I'm gone for three days. And I yeah, believe right. that the more frequent your training is, the better you're going to progress. So, so if that session, in the deadlift session, even if it would promote tremendous gains, which it won't, if it ruins the next three workouts because you can push only at 70% of your maximum, well, from on the big picture kind of thing, it, it's not good at anything because you are losing three good workouts just to get one potentially better workout, which it doesn't compete right. in my brain. That just doesn't work. And again, right. and you mentioned a great point. People just want to feel like they accomplished something. I'm hardcore. I'm right. going to post a selfie. Dude, I'm drenching <laughs> sweat after my deadlift workout. You can't walk out of the gym on leg day. That doesn't work. It's great for social media, but, but it will not get you anywhere. These people will not be training in five years from now. You got to think about you got to think about what's going to get what feels good when you have to, have to talk about it. So you can say, right. like, oh, man, I killed the workout today, man. I can't wait to get back in next week. Or does this sound more interesting? Yeah, I did deadlifts again. Did you do deadlifts yesterday? Yeah. yeah I'm going to do it again today. It doesn't sound quite exciting. No one seems as interested. But when you say you've killed it, because yeah, you can't say you killed it four days this week. <laughs> it just no, wouldn't even sound like so you killed deadlift again. You Didn't you just kill it yesterday? That? You're not killing it. You're reviving it, bro, and bringing it back. You're resuscitating it. You're not killing it <laughs> if you're doing it that frequently. If, if you can, if you can kill it four days in a row, you really have to reevaluate your definition of killing. It. <laughs> yeah, you, your right. murdering techniques are kind of lacking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but I think also the thing I, is. But when I when I post a, a clip of me doing something, I, I I want it to look easy because that's kind of the point. I don't want to post something where it looks like my I'm about to bust nut to finish the repetition. That that to me is not impressive. What's impressive is when someone does something that 
is considered difficult, but they make it look easy. Buddhist monk face, no screaming, just yeah. pushing it right through with good technique. That's more impressive yeah, to me than. There's that, but then there's that the misconception bottom. again. Because, you know, the people, they want to see somebody looking like they're about to die. Because a lot of right. people, they feel like they're going to die just from working out, period. They want to see someone else suffer. There's, there's entertainment in suffering. If, unless it's your own suffering, then it's not, it's not entertaining. But people look you know at the right people like, well, then they feel like if you made it through, if they feel like you made it through, then they're, they're happy. Like, wow, that dude, like, he was about to, like, give birth right there on the platform, but he made it through. You know, they, then you get a like for that. <laughs> so. Yeah, you made it through, but now, but now, now you need hip replacement surgery because you exactly. made it through. What you, know, you need to think about the long <laughs> term. <laughs> maintaining like performance. Okay, look at many of these, like the strong men you used to watch on TV or top powerlifters. Yeah. Many of them today, while well, they they can barely walk properly or they don't lift heavy weights anymore because they just abuse their structure too much. I mean, yeah, if know. you are at that <laughs> yeah, we know one. <laughs> potential, if you have the potential to reach that level, sure, go for it. But 99.9% of the population, they will never reach that level. It's, it's true for bodybuilding also. I mean, you'll never be Mr. Olympia. So why endanger your health and well-being right. to try to achieve something that is just not in the cards for you? Just optimize your performance. I mean, what Michael mentioned, it, it's called strength skill. Strength skill is the capacity to showcase perfect form and a great facility with heavy weight. And that is a lot more transferable to athletic performance. It is easier on the nervous system, easier on your structure, and you can do that long term. You can improve your technique, you improve neural efficiency, and you can improve muscle mass. Why? Because you can do more volume overall. Because if you can do a right. lift four days a week, the volume adds up. And studies have shown that if you do the same volume, you're going to get more hypertrophy from doing that same volume spread over three days rather than right. all in one workout. So nine, yeah. if you do only nine work sets, it's better to do three work sets for three days than nine work sets on one day. And not right. just for strength, but for hypertrophy, it's been proven. So, so yeah. just because you don't feel trash after a session, I mean, I'm going to give you an example. A few years back, I was getting back into the Olympic list. Now, I confess that for the previous five years, I've done mostly bro training, which means not training legs that much because I've, I've been an Olympic weightlifter. I squatted every single day for like six years. I was sick of it. So I trained mostly for bro training. And when I got back to Olympic weightlifting, I knew I needed to bring my leg strength back up. So I was like specializing on my squat. And I did a workout one day which was a complex a super set of three exercises. I did the squat with weight work, so I had like 360 on the bar plus 100 pounds of chains and 100 pounds on weight releasers. I would do one very slow eccentric, then five reps. Then I would move on to a 135-pound jump squat, five reps on jump squat. Then I would do five step jumps. And I did 10 rounds like this. At the end, dude, that was such an awesome workout. My leg strength is going to go back, right back up. I'm going to be snatching 140 kilos, of course. <laughs> well, the next day, I could not even bend down into a quarter squat. And for 14 days, I could not reach a half squat position without weight. It took me 21 days to be able to squat with a decent weight again. Even if that workout would have been great, which it wasn't, then it 
completely crippled my capacity to train my lower body and do the Olympic lifts for three weeks. So just because yeah. you killed it might not be a good investment for your game. My belief is that you need to be capable of stringing the most good workouts possible. Not one great workout and five sucky ones. The most right. good workout you can have. Good being you, you, you had good quality work with enough volume to improve, not feeling trapped, but enough to stimulate changes. The more of these you string together, the better you're going to progress. But people in their brain, we've been wired to think, well, if we work more, we get paid more. If we study more, we get better grades. If we work harder, we get a, a promotion. Right. So, and right. also, right. only in the dictionary does success come before work. So yeah. we've been wired that way, <laughs> but it just doesn't work like that. It, it, just yeah. stringing as many decent workouts together, never having a bad performance. And trust me, when you have those, those I'm going to kill the workout sessions, it's just like when you go to a bank and you take, up a, uh, take on a loan. The loan allows you to live the big life for a while. Everything's great, but you have to reimburse the loan eventually with interest. So when you right. kill the workout, maybe you get a little bit more out of it, but you're going to have to pay back the loan in the future, and that might actually lead to less gain than if you just have well, taken it a bit easier. That's a great analogy. Yeah, exactly. And one of those things, when you're saying, like, uh, instead of just doing those nine sets in, in one session, instead of just spreading them out in threes, you know, in three days. Another thing is, if you're trying to do all nine of them in one day, you also run the risk of, well, you got to think about it. The more frequent you're going to be doing that in that one session, every set you do, that technique is going to break down a little more every time. Right. It's not going to be Absolutely. as fresh as that first set. And so, therefore, Absolutely. by the time you make it to set nine, it's garbage, really, by that point. You're just yeah. trying to muscle through it. Technique is horrible. And now you've already set a bad, a bad precedent as well as far as technique because now your body doesn't recognize which one was better or worse. It just says, okay, we got, we muscled through that one. And now, and that, that last set was a garbage set, which means you're only as good as your last set, which means the next time you come back in, which is probably a week later, your body remembers that garbage set. And it thinks that we need to lift like that with that garbage technique that we last left off with. And that's what ends up happening. Instead of just taking the time to break it up, you know, break it up in those three days where you can stay a little bit fresh and still be mentally in the game. A little more. And that's the thing about it where I'm getting at with this. By the time you're in the ninth set, your mind is out of it, man. You're on autopilot. You're just trying to get through it. If you're trying to kill it at that point, it's just a Bible of the fit at that point. Mate. You're just trying to survive. When you're training those big lifts, when you're training those big lifts, one, one rule I have is that your last step should always be your best step. I know it sounds cliche, and bodybuilders scream that into, come on, bro, last step, best step. Not for mm-hmm. intensity, for the quality of the lift. The last step should be your best step because if you do it right, you just amp up your nervous system from set to set. So when that last step comes, if you have not built too much fatigue, your performance should actually be improved because of neural activation. But of course, if you do too many steps, that, that's going to be the opposite. Like normally on the big lift, for most people, the best step is the third set you do, sometimes the second. I, right. I'm talking work. Right. Very few people, very few people can maintain quality on that fourth set. Very rare. And nobody can have a, a good performance on that fifth set. No, three work right. sets is about right. For some people, four is going to be acceptable. But more than that, normally you're going to have a decrease in performance. And as you mentioned, For frequent training, definitely. 
for three, I, I, for frequent training, when your training as often as I am, I find three is perfect. You don't really want to do more than that. You hit three, you move on. And I'm doing full body workouts. I'm also hitting everything else every time I work out as well. So I'm doing some pressing exercise, some pulling exercise, some additional assistance work, glute ham raises. Which makes sense because that's, that makes sense because that's about the only time you're going to have time to do those other things if you're doing it this frequently. So right, that's right. Yes, you're not you're not splitting up the body, and when you're training this often. Right. And everything else responds, pressing responds, especially overhead pressing responds superior to frequent training anyway. Pull ups as well. If you want to get good at pull ups, yeah. Pavel had this great. Well, you start from a dead start. Also, start from a dead start. Anything yeah. where you start from a oh, yeah. start, to me, it seems to respond better at pull ups, deadlift, press, snatch, clean. To me, these are the lift that responds the best to high frequency training. I mean, if you want to improve your push ups, you do push ups. Several times a day, every day, your push-up numbers are going to go yeah. through the roof. You'll go from 50 to oh, 100 yeah. in a couple weeks, easily. Oh, yeah. Well, just, just because you learn to create better tension, most people, when they do push-ups, they just keep the core relaxed. The glutes are not contracted. So, so they, right. they have a lot of strength leaks. Just by doing them more often, they build the capacity to maintain maximum torque and tension without affecting their performance. So body weight exercises are also a special animal because they require so much coordination. People really don't say yeah. that because well, it, it's quote-unquote light. Like, a bench, like when you're doing a push-up, you're basically bench-pressing 60% of your body weight. So it's not heavy. Right. So people downplay right. how hard it is from a coordination standpoint. But, but it is very demanding from a coordination standpoint, and because of that, it also is very effective. Uh, with a high frequency. I was working with a CrossFit guy who made it to the CrossFit game. And he hired me because his problem was his strict handstand push-up. He only got 11. And within a month and a half of high frequency training, doing handstand push-up every single day, he, he worked up to 22 strict handstands from a deficit. So basically, it was, his hand were on those big 45-pound plates with bumper plates. He was doing deficit right. from there. So when he was in the bottom position, his hand were about the, the same height as his, his shoulders. But a month and a half before, he couldn't do 11 strict. Now he was doing 22 strict from a deficit without gaining strength on his lift, just because he got more efficient at the lift from the high-frequency training. If you want to make one lift go up fast, high-frequency is by far the best strategy. Now, I, I've, I've done it on uh, pretty much every big lift there is, and there is definitely right. no better strategy. But if there's a contest, right, whoever improves his deadlift the most in a month gains 10 million. Will you deadlift once a week? Of course not. You're going to deadlift every damn day. If there's right. 10 million down the line, that's how you're going to be training. Well, why aren't you training that way right now? Just because there's right. not a 10 million dollar paycheck at the, at the end, if you want rapid progress, you should still train that way, right? Oh, yeah. Right. No, 100%. Funny, I think where people screw up with that up because, frequency uh, is they... Oh, go ahead, Sincere. Oh, I was saying, uh, uh, getting to what Christian was saying, I, I used to have a lot of clients come to my gym because a lot of times our main focus, especially for people who are just starting to train again or training at all, was to start with body weight before you can pick up a weight. I said, you actually have to earn the right to lift that weight. And I said, do you know that mm -hmm. most people can't even lift their own body weight? So that's why we're going to start it because a lot of the guys would be the ones that would be the most resistant because they're thinking like, oh, man, I want to do deadlifts. I want to do this. I want to do all the stuff I've seen on CrossFit or whatever else or powerlifting and all this. I'm like, dude, how many push-ups can you do? I don't care about how much you can bench. How many push-ups can you do? And 
and they would say, oh, man, I can do it. So they, I put them next to the to the ladies in my class, and we would do push-ups, as many as you can do in a minute, and then we'll take a 30-second break, and we'll do it again. But it was to be surprising because, again, the ego kicks in with the guys because, you know, in their minds, a push-up is a dude's exercise because we often hear so many women that say they hate push-ups. And I always tell women that, well, the reason why you hate it is because your technique probably sucks. I said, if you get your technique down, you'll actually come to love them. And as soon as I help them with their technique, they end up like, oh, wow, I didn't believe I could do this many. So anyway, putting them up next to the guys, they're going for a minute. The first, okay, that first set, the guy's killing because he's just, just, just racing through them. And I'm laughing. I'm like, yeah, keep on doing that, bro. Don't forget, we're going to do about five of these. So, that's what, so about the second or third one, the females are still going. The dudes are tanking out at like four. And they don't understand why. You know, well, I can bench press this and that. I don't understand why I was gassing out. I said, well, first of all, you didn't patient yourself. And your core is weak because you're, you're mainly used to lying down on a bench and not really using your core. Your bench technique probably sucks, too, if you, if you have an issue just doing push-ups like this. And always consider this. Don't ever shortchange a push-up because, basically, a push-up is nothing but a bench press flipped over. But the problem is, now, not only are you – you're working against gravity. Gravity is just trying to pull you down, dude, not just trying to pull the bar down like you do on the bench. It's trying to pull your body down. And if your core is weak, man, the first thing is going down is your hips. You're going to have that, what I call suck butt syndrome. <laughs> you know, those guys that do the push-ups and then they got the teenage mutant ninja turtle shoulders all hunched up and their butt sagging or whatever else. You can throw a saddle on their back. So I was like, so this is, this is just proof that before you start benching again, you really need to work on your push-up technique. I said, but the beautiful thing about push-ups, there's such a wide spectrum of push-ups that you can do that will help you really get so much stronger and really build that core that core base for you and also actually help you improve those push-ups, I mean, those bench press numbers as well, because you'll be able to actually activate your core and also activate your back as well. People always forget that the back is also helping you on those push, I mean, on the bench press. People always think that bench press is all about a chest exercise or push-ups as well. I'm like, no, dude, you're working back muscles as well, dude. And so you're getting a full upper body workout with this if you're doing it correctly. And after they actually see a, di a different perspective of it, they have a newfound respect for the push-up. And I'm like, and the beautiful thing is you can do this anytime, anywhere, and you can do these every day because there's so many different ways you can do it. So there's ways you can always freak it, man, and you just, you'll lean out, you'll get stronger, and it'll help you with, you know, your other upper body exercises. It'll even help you with those pull-ups as well. So it just helps you get about the perspective back? What you mentioned about the back is so important because most people, the, the reason why they have shoulder injuries when bench pressing and, and most serious trainers have at some point is because they don't involve the last in the bench press and the upper back. Right. The, the shoulder blade should be tucked in together and the last should be engaged as if you're trying to bend the bar in half. Now, if you cannot keep that back tight when bench pressing, you're going to get injured. But if you don't keep that back tight when, when doing push-up, what happens is that your, your scapula will just pop out. So you immediately yeah. know that your back is not activated. So the, if you don't keep your back tight in the push-up, well, I'm sure as hell you won't be able to keep them tight, the, the back tight, during bench press, and you will injure your shoulders. But to get back on that, I was I was training at a gym uh, recently, and uh, it, it's hockey off-season. And you have, like, hockey schools making big money selling, uh, selling personal training or group personal training to six, seven, or eight-year-old hockey players because, well, you're going to be the next NHL superstar, right? And I'm looking at these kids, and they can't do a proper body weight squat. And then the coaches have them do single-leg plyometrics on the box and off of the box. I mean, I, jumping, they, they were like the resistance band attached at the top of the power rack, loop 
beneath their armpits and doing single leg jumps with the band, helping them fly higher up. I'm doing crazy exercise. These guys are eight years old. They can't do a body weight squat. They're doing power clean. They're doing squat deadlift. Great exercises, but if you can't do a body weight squat properly, you have no. There's no real. There's no way you can do a single leg body weight squat on a bullshoe ball with your eye skills. But uh, it's right. more sport specific. <laughs> it's not more sport specific. It's, it's chiropractor specific. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I'll make two points right. on this, and then we can move on to some of the other things. But two things. I mean, one. If you're doing 10 sets, you're not killing it anyway, because if you can do 10 sets with the weight, it's not heavy. So whenever someone says, oh, I did 10 sets of this, I go, well, that sounds like a waste of time, because if you could do 10 sets with it, you know, I'd rather go heavier and do three sets and then do it more frequently. So that's one point. The other point is that with training infrequently, right, like a high-intensity approach or what Mike Menser made popular heavy duty where you hit it to failure and then you do it once every 10 days. That's all fine and good. Not everyone has the training ability to push it to that level of failure that you have to, that's required when you train that infrequently. That's number one for a variety of reasons. One, it's uncomfortable. Two, it's, you just, you just don't have that capacity to push it to that degree. So the people that respond really well are the ones who do have that capacity. But the other problem is that with training the failure, that last rep is never going to look good. It shouldn't even be counted. No one trains the failure and the last rep looks good. It always looks bad. And Poliquin has a good point where he says those are no counts. So if someone's, if you're, if you have to do 10 weighted pull-ups with 70 pounds and the last three reps, you're nowhere close to the bar, completing a full rep or you're doing a kipping type motion, those repetitions aren't even counted. And that's how you reinforce good technique. And, and the problem is that the, the nervous system, as Dr. Smith-Bleichert said, the last rep you do has the, the, the greatest impact on neural programming. So those bad reps, they, they will actually linger, which you as you mentioned earlier, and it just hurts motor learning. So you always right. need to finish with, with a solid rep on those technically demanding exercise, otherwise technique will just drop down from session to session. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's really before, problematic uh, on it's really problematic on squats, deadlifts or anything that yeah. you, you become very injury prone. You know, it's one thing to do a rep incorrectly with incline presses or something at the last one. That's not great either, but that's only going to cause so much damage. But if you go to failure on deadlifts and that last rep is horrible technique and you say, fuck it, I'm just going to push through it anyway. <laughs> that, that's where you're really going to get yourself in trouble. No. You know, when I was at my strongest, when I, when I was squatting 600 and from squatting 45, bench pressing 445, snatching 215, and yes, I'm just bragging here. Uh, I, except for snatches, <laughs> because they're technical, I never miss a bench press. I, I don't remember ever missing a squat or a front squat or a deadlift. I, I, would, I never, in 10 years, in that like what I consider to be my prime and strength, I never miss a rep in training. Never, 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 never again. It never happens. Most of the time, even with, when I'm maxed out, quote unquote, to me, I'm maxed out with doing one rep with what would be my my true two R That right. was my max. Right. Now, that's what it was. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And people don't also understand that training to failure. I mean, I'm not completely against training to failure. But if you do go to failure, it's all isolation exercises on machines. 
where there's no technical or partial component. And the thing right. is that going to failure creates a tremendous CNS stress. It keeps you, it, it triggers a survival mode, especially on those neurologically demanding exercises. If you go to failure on a deadlift, which is already super high on the CNS activation scale, you go to yeah. failure, you will amp up that sympathetic nervous system so high that your nervous system keeps firing on all cylinders for five hours or so after the session. Now, when you are in that sympathetic state, the problem is that it comes with a jacking up of the cortisol release. When you're in sympathetic mode, cortisol is being pumped out like crazy. So going to right. failure on those triplets triggers a survival mechanism that keeps you in sympathetic mode for hours after the session, which means that you, you have to wait those five hours before you can actually start the recovery process. Because being in right. sympathetic mode is fight or flight situation. It's not rest and recover. You need to go into the parasympathetic system to recover. Now, so yeah. when you are spending four hours, five hours uh, into the sympathetic system, here's what happens. First of all, it will can create what we often call CNS fatigue. But CNS fatigue, right, it's it, two things. People misunderstand what it is. It can either be a temporary desensitization of the adrenal receptors. Because if you're staying in that sympathetic mode, you are pumping out adrenaline and, and it, it's staying bound to the adrenal receptors. These receptors are not made to be constantly activated for hours and hours. They are meant right. to be triggered for a very short period of time, then it, it, they let go so you can recover. If you keep right. them activated for five hours, they will become desensitized for a certain period of time. So the next day, if you feel unmotivated, you feel like you have mood swing, you're lethargic, chances are that you desensitize your own adrenal receptors, even more if you took those uh, crazy stimulants before a workout. Uh, the yeah. other thing could be a, a depletion of dopamine because uh, adrenaline is fabricated from dopamine. So if you are constantly pumping out adrenaline for hours after the session, you are using a lot of dopamine. And again, trashing that dopamine also means mood swings, lack of motivation, zero control regarding eating crap. So that's right. from the neurotransmitter perspective, but you're also pumping out cortisol like crazy. So going to failure on a deadlift or a squat triggers that survival mechanism, keeps you in the sympathetic mode for hours, creates an overproduction of cortisol, which of course will decrease testosterone, and also creates CNS fatigue by either depleting dopamine or desensitizing the adrenal receptors. So nothing yeah. good can come out of it. Yeah, the dopamine, the dopamine depletion is a big one. And a lot of people are dopamine yeah. depleted and don't even realize it. If you're someone who wakes up tired and you, you, you don't feel like your day is moving until you get that first cup of coffee, well, coffee is yeah. a dopamine increaser. And you're desperately yeah. seeking yeah. it because you want that dopamine boost. So you should be naturally motivated. I, I enjoy coffee, too, in the morning, but I don't need it. I enjoy it. And if I get to the point where I feel like I need it, then it's time to cut it out for a week or two. Yeah, exactly. Let the dopamine... Yeah. Dopamine receptors become desensitized and get those levels back up. And the problem with, 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 with when you deplete dopamine is that it will lead to zero discipline regarding eating. Because subconsciously, when, when you are depleted in dopamine, your brain needs it. It, it. it will trigger actions that will stimulate dopamine production. And eating crap actually stimulates dopamine production. So is taking drugs. 
So, but but the, right. one of the reasons why people, right. they start eating crap when they feel bad is to get that dopamine spiking. So 100%. And I've seen that power, a powerless friend of mine, every time he competes, mm-hmm. he is trashed for a week afterward because he depleted his dopamine and he will eat all the donuts in the world for a week just because subconsciously <laughs> he needs right. it to replenish his dopamine level. So, right. so uh, a lot of people... They can't follow a good diet just because they actually are dopamine depleted. I'm not saying it's the right. only reason, but it certainly doesn't help. Yeah, Braver, Dr. Braverman has really good information on neurotransmitter balance and how it relates to fat loss and hormone optimization. So people should check out his. Well, I want to get him on the show soon, actually. He's interested, but he has really good information on brain health and it's also its relationship to physical performance because that's very much overlooked as well. I think that, that that's where it's going. What I'm teaching at the moment is, is the impact of neurotransmitter on training. It, it, I don't use the same model as Dr. Braverman because he only talks about the four main neurotransmitters, which are that's, he that's only true. uses dopamine, uh, dopamine, serotonin, GABA, and acetylcholine. Uh, yep. I teach about the six main ones. I also include glutamate in there. Uh, as well as adrenaline, because adrenaline and glutamate are probably the two most important neural activators. So, for example, mm. that, that's going to be a good uh, way to transition to the next topic, glutamate. I, I believe that one of the main reasons for the pussification of America is an excess of glutamate level, because it's added in pretty much all the fast food MSG. And glutamate right. is a neurotransmitter responsible for emotion. So those who are like those extreme emotional response, both positive and negative, they fall in love right. every day. They, 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 they just can't uh, <laughs> be faithful because of, of that reaction. When they fail at something, it's like the world ends. They have a super negative internal conversation. Uh, that <laughs> comes from an excess of glutamate. And hmm. it can be two problems. Either there's too much glutamate in their food, because it is MSG, monosodium glutamate, is added to many foods, fast food especially. But it can also be, and that is a more and more common problem because of uh, depletion in vitamin B6, uh, it's the lack of conversion of glutamate into GABA. So people, right. it's pretty much impossible to have high GABA and high glutamate. So those people right. with high glutamate have high glutamate because they don't <clears throat> convert it into GABA. So you have those whiny, over-emotional people taking selfies every day. That's pretty much yeah. People with high glutamate, that is the typical profile. Like the people who seek attention, who have so much in social anxiety that they they need, they need the approval and admiration of everybody to feel good about themselves. That is an imbalance of glutamate and GABA. So, uh, so basically, basically, ninety-nine percent of people on Instagram are glutamate Absolutely. overload, Absolutely. <laughs> glutamate overload syndrome. <laughs> you know, you know, the other thing about glutamate, Christian. The other thing is that in processed foods, glutamate is always categorized as glutamine when they're two separate yeah, things. Exactly. That's right. also a problem. Exactly. So they don't even say glutamate on the label. They just say, oh, it's got five grams of glutamine. I was like, no, 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 that's not glutamine. That's glutamate. Yeah. That's another problem. That is a very good point because. Uh, yeah. uh, Starbucks, I, they, they have they, they have glutamate in their coffee, but they say they don't because it's, it's as you mentioned, it's listed as glutamine. Same with many fast food chains. So I was just about to say that's one thing. Also, yeah, 
even just eating out, even in these high-end restaurants, they still use a lot of MSG in their foods. And a lot of people are eating these places. They don't even realize this stuff is being added to their food. So they may think like, well, I don't eat junk food like chips and blah, blah. And they go out to what they think is a nice dinner and don't realize that these these places are still using that. There's a reason why you keep going to that restaurant and why their food tastes so good and it's so savory. That's not regular just salt, dude. Okay? That's yeah. just MSG. But it's triggering MSG. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm just saying that MSG triggers a part of your brain that you just regular table salt does not. So that's the thing about it. It yeah. makes you. But the, the the real test is as soon as you eat that food, look how much water you're drinking while you're eating. So if you're just like, <laughs> exactly. and, and if you're right. going to get a headache right after that, that's not table salt doing that. That's MSG. And if you throw <laughs> table salt with that, it's activating MSG and helping to get through a lot faster. So. Absolutely, yeah. And that that's why you get addicted to fast food or or even those the, the great steak you had. It's because the glutamate enhances. I call glutamate an emotion enhancer. Any mm. emotion you have, it just increases its intensity in your brain. So if you like something, you're going to like it even more and you're going to get addicted to that. It's actually a very smart strategy, but it's really bad for health because we know that glutamate is neurotoxic. And it's yeah. responsible for many bipolar disorders. It could have a clear role in Parkinson and Alzheimer's. Yeah, oh, Alzheimer's, etc. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think also protein powders. You have to be careful not to overload on those as well, for the same reason because they list it as glutamine when it's really glutamate. Not not a hundred percent of the time, but that's also the case. So I'm not saying you shouldn't use a protein powder, but you shouldn't be taking three scoops five times a day like a lot of people do. For, I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't do that, but the glutamate if you're Water from a protein powder, there's, it's a bad sign. If you're retaining, if you're right. taking a shake and you're retaining water from it, then mm. and you're not that close in then there's a problem. Right, right, right. right. Let's get into this this fat shaming article you wrote because I thought it was a really interesting piece. Especially when people look at you, they probably don't think that that was ever your life experience. That you've actually experienced the negative consequences of being overweight in our society. And then you've you flipped to being this very muscular, ripped physique that you have now, which many people aspire to. So people often assume that the way you look now is the way you've always looked. Well, when I was, uh, of course, when I grew up as a kid, I was always wanting to be athletic. And I was like fairly athletic. But one, once I got into uh, uh, Olympic weightlifting, and even before that, in high school, I, I, I played football. And I wanted to be bigger, bigger and bigger. I, I remember I was, I went to a guy at the supplement store and I asked him, well, I need to get bigger. And he sold me this uh, weight gain powder that had uh, 3,600 calories per shake. And I was having two of these shakes per day and putting ice cream in there. So I, I bulked up to like 230, but with a 42 inch waist. When I was an Olympic weightlifter, I thought, well, the more I eat, the stronger I'll be. So I was having five hamburgers after every single workout and I was training twice a day. So I ballooned up to a 42, even more, at one point I had 44-inch waist. And, of course, I, I was not particularly good-looking, and I had, like, crusty the clown hair, and I, I'm short. So I, I, let's just say that even though I, I always fancied myself as a great person, a good personality, I, I was the eternal best friend. Now, I mentioned in the article, I got my first girlfriend when I was 21. I lost my virginity at 21, which is, like, 10 years later than kids today. 
but uh, I was really unpopular. And what really pissed me off, actually, when I really got in shape for it, for, and actually, it's probably a story in itself, because I was writing for, I started writing for T-Nations, and I was using myself as a model, and I was demonstrating claims and snaps, because I thought I looked jacked and I was super strong. And back then, they had a reader's comment section that was published every Friday evening. And one guy said, you really let anybody write for T-Nation that Thibodeau guy doesn't even look, looks like he trains. And that was my motivation to get lean for the first time. And when I got lean, what really pissed me off is that the girls would not even give me the time of day if I paid them. Now, were flocking to me, and I was walking at a water park, and girls were, were, were switching lines to be next to me. And at first, of course, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the yeah. attention. Uh-huh. But I realized how, how people are superficial, and it really pissed me off because I'm not a better person than I was. If anything, right. I'm a worse person because at one point I, I developed a, a form of an ego because I was good-looking for the first time. But it right. really pissed me off that people uh, like who rejected me before now admire me. But, but then again, so I know what it is to be rejected because of the way you look. But but the point of the article is that I'm against people who uh, try to put like fat quote unquote discrimination in the same category as discrimination against colored people, against handicapped people or disabled people, against uh, all of the people who or even like women and men uh, problems because it's not the same thing. Because, okay, like, let them just, uh, the situation is not as bad as it was today when it comes to races. But anybody who says that there is not a racism problem in the world is stupid. There is a racism problem. Uh, And that is a problem. But you cannot compare that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you were born black, you were born Hispanic, you were born white. You're not born obese. And you can do something about it. So right. me, I have a problem with people. Okay, you, you have a, you are overweight. I was overweight. I understand how it is. But if you don't do anything about it, and really, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple to fix the problem. Just eat less, make better food selection, and exercise. Anybody can look better. Uh, my father lost eighty pounds. My business partner also lost eighty pounds. Anybody can do it. It's not fun because some people, they just prefer to have some satisfaction from the food they eat rather than look good. Fine. That's your decision. But you lost the right to complain about not being accepted or loved or whatever because you're fat because you can do something about it and you're not doing something about it. Uh, right. If, it, if you're being discriminated against because... Uh, you don't have any arms, well, you can't do anything about that. Okay, And right. I'm, I hate people who discriminate against these people. But if you are overweight, there is a solution. Either you do something about it, and I will support you, but if you complain and you're not doing anything about it, to me, you lost the right to complain personally. That's what yeah. I think. Well, I mean, I don't think fat discrimination is going to be a problem for much longer because, let's be honest, the majority of Americans Everybody's are going to be fat. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. In addition to a melting pot. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, um, not, like, even just kind of getting back to when Christian, when, when you said that, um, you know, something that, that not born fat, 
Well, the way things are going now, there are a lot of children who are being born fat because it's just the way their uh, parents, you know, work. Even the mothers that carry the children. So a lot of them are being born fat and or born obese. And it's just like a parent. It's just like a mother that takes drugs and smokes cigarettes while she's carrying their child. When the mother that's carrying that child is eating this crap, she's mentally she's taking all this stuff in and she's feeding these nutrients to the child. It's like it's like the new age crack baby, basically. So a lot of these kids are being born fat and obese and have a tendency to be addicted to the crap, crappy food. And I feel like a lot of them have a harder time making those decisions and choices to be healthier when they've been fed crap long before they even came out of the womb and got into this world. Yeah. And they're also yeah. now, so you've got the nurture part already fucking them up. Okay. It's already that, that's true. Big time. It's because of the mother. And then once they come out, you got the nature, you got, oh, excuse, that's the nature part that's messing them up. But once they come out into the world, you got the nurture part because they're being born into a household where they're, the yeah. family, the parents who are making choices for them are making bad choices for them. So they've now that's conditioned true. this child from the very beginning that this is acceptable. And, and then, then, then there's, the, there's the other shaming that comes in there because I've seen, it, especially in, in ethnic communities where if you're not fat, you're not healthy. Like you need to eat, you need to eat where they, yeah. everything, attributed yeah. to love is you know is with food and so you've been conditioned to think this growing up so when you become an adult and you gotta now you gotta unfuck yourself from you know all the damage mm-hmm. that's been done to you since you've been in the womb you know then it's really hard and it's not as easy to like okay you can make a choice you can make a choice it, it makes a, it's a lot harder for them and I, one thing that kind of sucks about our industry there are so many people like unlike yourself you know, and plus I've been overweight too, but there are a lot of these trainers out there that have never been fat a day in their life. And they're the ones that you can do it. You just make a choice and blah, blah, blah. And they've never even walked the walk and been there before and don't even understand what a lot of these folks are going through. Now, trust me, I get it. There are some people who are full of crap and it's just like, I accept myself for who I am. And we know deep down inside they are hurting, but, you know, but it looks good online with this whole hashtag body positivity, Bopo and all this other stuff because it's getting them a lot of attention. And there's a lot of them that are, is, even the ones that really are the faces of the body positivity movement, let's just take, like, Ashley Graham, who's been on the cover of Sports Illustrated and who really is, like, going leaps and bounds for body positivity and, and women who are considered, you know, too big to be in the modeling industry or they had to be plus size. You know, she's going through kind of broken those barriers. But don't get it twisted. She's not just sitting around eating bonbons. You still see her working out and taking care of her health. Even though she's yeah. not going to be a size zero, she understands her genetics and knows that she's not going to get down that small and she's not living by that standard. But she's not sitting around just, you know, not taking care of herself. So that's I think that's where a lot of people who look at all this body positivity and body shaming stuff and, and they get it all wrong. They think that all their role models out there, you know, the, the most prominent ones out there are just sitting around like, girl, I'm just going to sit around and just eat burgers all day long. And you can do that, too. And we don't have to we don't have to worry about what people think. These people are still trying to take care of themselves. Sabria majors, all these people who are now the faces of body positivity, you know, but then you get the people who are not the faces of the ones who are mainly talking and posting things and, and trying to be the motivator for lazy asses. So, you know, there's, there's a give and take on both sides with that. There's, so there's got to be some type of balance. It's like, and there's some who look like they're overweight and they have less body fat than the skinny chick who's walking around thinking like she's okay. She's walking around with 35% body fat. And then there's a girl that looks big as I don't know what, and she's got like 16% or she's got 20% body fat, you know? And so, but people look at the big one like, oh my God, look at her. You know, so that I can see where the body shaming comes in. They think, oh, the little one, she's got such a cute body. Dude, she's not healthy. She's not healthy at all. She's living off cocaine and cigarettes every day, okay, and Starbucks. I, so, I think it really comes to establishing good 
healthy life pattern. And again, you mentioned the parents earlier, and I cannot agree more. I think that many parents out there should actually have their parenting license revoked. Uh, some, right. some of these people are doing some crazy irresponsible things. I mean, the parents, for a, a typical thing, like the parent has like two jobs and that, that they work hard, I understand it. But oftentimes, right. because they don't have the energy to take care of their kids, what they often do is they, they compensate by buying them all day that tasty food to make them happy, bringing pizza home instead of cooking right. a good home meal. And I understand they're tired. I, I get that. But it also can cripple their children for the reason you mentioned earlier. So uh, right. yeah, you, some people do have a much uh, have a head start over others, while some people will start from a more uh, demanding situation. Uh, but and again, I mean, I'm not against like people who are overweight accepting themselves. But accepting themselves doesn't mean that you cannot Im- work on improving yourself, oh, even if it's definitely. just from a, from a health perspective. The thing is that. Modern society, one thing we have to accept, and it's been like that forever, there are standards that are seen as desirable. And, dip- and throughout the ages, or as you mentioned, depending on uh, the society or uh, so, so, some, some groups of people, different looks are preferred over others. In some part of the world, being overweight is a sign of wealth, of being healthy, and is desired. Uh, it was like that, for example, in uh, the, 17, the 1800s in Great Britain, being overweight was a, a sign of being wealthy and was thus seen right. as desirable. Uh, it's, in, like that, uh, it's like that in, in India. In, in India now, it's like that. Yeah, Kenya, it's like that. Uganda, it's like that. That's, that's common in quite a bit of the world. In fact, in the Middle East, yeah. if, if a guy's wife is too thin, they, it looks bad on him. They go, what's wrong, man? She's not, she's not eating. You're not taking care of your woman. Yeah. Right. So, so do, do they have like sin shaming over there. I mean, the, some people will not... Yeah, they have a lot of other problems over there, but that's a separate discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, so it, 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 we must... It, not, not everybody is born equal. That, that's the... And I'm 5'8". I'm I'll never be 6'2". That I would right like there. To be Say that again. Right. Yeah. Say that one again. That's because important. That's, that's, I mean, as, I'm, as we're having... We're, while we're recording the show right now, I'm seeing this equal pay for black women trending on on Twitter. And there's always equal pay for women. I'm just like, OK, first of all, the, the biggest issue with all of this equal everything is the fact that no one's equal. Hell, nobody is equal. your kid. It's nobody a, it's your kids. You've got two kids. For example, you have two kids born in the same household. They both have well-to-do parents. They both have the same access to the same education system. And you have that one kid who excels at everything. You got that one kid who's a total fuck-up. You know, he's on drugs. He's, he's always partying all the time. He can't keep a job. He's still living with the parents. And the other one goes off, and she gets a Nobel Peace Prize. Okay, look, they had equal access to everything. They're in that same household. You know, they pretty much came from the same gene pool, same two parents. Okay, what happened here? You would think they would be the same. Right. That, well, if that doesn't work for your own genealogy, you know, your, with your own siblings, how do you expect that to work out in the real world? Now, I understand there are certain there are certain things where there's a good old boy network where some people don't get access and they keep them out of it. But, you know, a lot of times I say 
Why are you trying to fight for a seat at a table with some people who don't want to eat with you? Why are you not out trying to find ways to build your own table? And you're not the only one that's not getting seated at that, seated at that table. So work with those other people and, and actually do what we've done over time, become a tribe and build your own community. And then you, you got your own thing instead of being at the mercy of someone else, trying to prove that you are just as good as that person. And you want that person who's already ignoring you to think that you're just as good as them. They don't care. They're not they're ignoring you already. So you can do whatever and fight to be next to them. They won't care. So I always have an issue with this whole equal pay. And like even in Hollywood, I get it. I get it. Yeah, there are some people who are in control of all the money. But guess what? That's the way the world works, too. There are certain people that are in control of all the money in the world. And you're not going to be as equal to them. And some of those people busted their ass to get there. Some of them, it was handed to them. But there are some people in a lot of when it comes to business. First of all, don't come to me with that talking about like, you know, everybody needs to, you know, pay their fair share. What does that look like? Did you do the fair share amount of work that I did? Did you go to the same courses that I did? Did you pay the same amount of money for those courses? Did you spend as much time in those courses? Why do you feel like you need to have what I have? You need to get out of my business and get your own. No, so miss me with that bullshit when people say that, man. That's like, that's like one of my pet peeves with that whole equal everything. We're not equal. We're individuals. Even your cells are not, even though they're in the same body, they're not the same cells. They all have their own individual responsibility in order to in, to make sure that they are doing that responsibility. That's the only way they can work with the other cells to make your body function. That's how we are, man. It's like there's nothing equal ever. <laughs> so crap when people say that, man. <laughs> and now I still step off my, my, my soapbox and drink my green tea. <laughs> you, you've been a great guest. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I always love coming on the no, show. Man. I agree one hundred percent, and it, it, that's the problem. I mean, uh, here in in Quebec, the, the the big thing right now is that people are are getting crazy about a, a raise that the doctors had because doctors are paid by the state here, so it, mm. it's kind of a socialist thing. And right. all of those complaining are those who make not not minimum wage, but making like. Uh, thirty-five thousand a year as uh, like a manual labor job, and I work hard. Yeah, but your job, anybody can learn it in a week. Right. I'm not saying it's not tough. Right. It's physically demanding. I understand that. But to be a doctor, right. you have to, to spend ten years or twelve years in college. Uh, you had to work sixty hours uh, in your internship, uh, and you have the life of someone in your hands. It's normal that that person who made sacrifices and also would probably have a different capacity when it comes to learning stuff makes more money than you. I mean, it's normal that LeBron James makes more money than I do because he has a skill set that nobody on earth has. So when you have exclusive right. skill set, it's normal to receive more money from it. If you have a skill set that anybody can have, or, or uh, do a job that anybody can learn fairly quickly, then just it, it, it's like the, it's not worth as much money because you can go up the street and have anybody do your job. So it, it's not equal depending on the choices you make. But some people are born with more smarts. Some people are born taller. Some people are born better looking. I would have loved to look like uh, Brad Pitt. It wasn't in a car for me. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good it, trade-off. It <laughs> and it, it sucks. I mean, it sucks that some people have advantages over others. But it's not right. because we are we cannot force society to make everybody equal because it's artificial. It, it's state control. It, it's 
it's communism, and we all know how communism ended up. It doesn't yeah. work. Well, I mean, the, the real problem is the real problem is you need to look at. I think what a lot of people see as weaknesses or liabilities can be assets or strengths, depending on your mentality and how you flip it. <clears throat> when I yeah, first got into the fitness business, I was into. I have this burn scar on my face, and I was very insecure about that. And the idea of getting in front of a group and so forth, I was I was just paranoid that people would be overly fixated on that. But once I changed my mindset of you know, don't try to hide anything from anyone, just re- just put it right out there. You know, just get in front of as many people as possible. You can make it a strength, and it's a strength in the sense that. I've got this black and white goatee, which nobody has. Never made. I've been all over the world. I've never seen anyone with it. (laughs) So you make it. You make it unique, is what I'm saying. It's like any any negative thing you've ever been through, you can you can flip it and make it a strength. A lot of people have been through abuse in some capacity or another, and they don't want anyone to know about it. But that makes it a weakness. If everybody knows about it, I'm not saying you should go tell everyone every time you speak. But if you put it out there, it's no longer a weakness. It doesn't have any control over you. If anything, it's a big strength because a lot of people are going to be able to relate to that. It makes you more relatable, and you're going to be more successful in whatever you're trying to do. Absolutely. I mean, the one big change I made when I give seminars is that now I talk about all the bad experiences, the bad choices I made, and also I talk about what I perceive as being my own weaknesses. I have low self-esteem, but the low self-esteem Actually, because I have low self-esteem, I need the approval of others. But it, it mm. allowed me to work extra hard to get to earn that respect. So I would not have been here today if I would not have used that lack of self-esteem as a weapon. If I, right, if I let driving it force. keep me down, right. I would yep. have probably been pumping gas right now. But, but when <laughs> you talk about that, I, I had eating disorders. So when I talk in front of a crowd, I explain like all the eating disorders I've ever had in my life, and at least two in the crowd had the same problems. But now right. they feel better about confronting their own problems, and, and they don't put themselves down because of it. And accepting yourself <laughs> is the first step to bettering yourself. Because if you don't, and they're right there is more inspiring to an onlooker. You know, that's more inspiring to an onlooker because they're like, well, look, that dude has the same thing, the same issues that I had, probably not exactly the same, but he's been where I've been. So therefore, and look where he Mm -hmm. is now. So who am I to sit here and wallow in my own tears and have this victim mentality and woe is me when it can, there, it can be done. Or they may feel like there is no light in the tone. It's like, well, damn, you, you made it through this. Okay. Then there's maybe hope because there are a lot of people always trying to give them advice that's never even walked in the shoes like we talked about earlier. And so right. now somebody walks in the shoes and is like, okay, that dude made it to the other side. You know, even when Mike brought up in his book, you know, just by, you know, dealing with abuse. Okay. Here he is now. He's not going out being an asshole, abusing children or whatever else. Here's a guy that's going out and, you know, he's fighting for causes. He's fighting for animal rights. He's, you know, he's like, we're giving the project child thing, doing things like that. So he's taking what most would picture as a tragedy and then making it a triumph. As well, instead of being a victim and thinking like I hate everybody and screw everybody and you know all you know all women are crap because look what happened to me and blah blah and that's what's happening with a lot of these people getting on here they they're playing the role of the victim because it's so easy and guess what also playing the role of victim not only is it easy there's a lot of people living in victim town so you're not the only one living there it's very overpopulated and so you don't have to feel alone because that's it's the worst Me Too movement out there. I'm a victim. Me yeah. too. Me too. Me too. And then it's like, wow. <laughs> hey, I got my tribe now. <laughs> people, 
But and then, well, then, and then you get off. Then you get off on being a victim too, and that's the uh, that's the other yeah. problem there. And it's it's yeah. never what Don't happens me. to you in life. Yeah, it's never what happens to you in life that's the problem. Right, right. The, the, the need to be accepted and belonging to something something is like the third basic human need. Self-esteem sure, is yeah. the second. Uh, so, so you, you need if if these people have low self-esteem, they they must compensate by belonging to a group. So they join like a, a keto diet group on the internet, right? Or the, <laughs> well, uh, no. yeah. <laughs> or, or yeah, I've seen. Like I that. actually, or, I've actually seen a friend. I've seen a person who pretty much was relatively unknown, only to a few people on like Facebook or Instagram. But the moment that person started talking about the keto diet and made it the focus of their new personality, I started watching that person's like followers just shoot up. And all of a sudden, like, oh my God, you're so brave! And oh, they, you know, right, who, who, is this? Who, is, who is this person? Come on, let's not let's not keep this anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, you know what? No, this person. No, this person actually. I would actually say no. Unlike probably who you might be thinking of this person is actually a very good person i, w- I wouldn't even put them on blast like that because i get it i know where they are right now and 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 so i don't even think that that person realized what's happening right now well i gotta tell you there's this there's this there's this one vegan girl on instagram her name is amanda and she she does a ketogenic vegan diet and at first i go what the hell is that and i looked into yeah. what she does and she is very smart and methodical about how she puts it together. In fact, it actually inspired me to go back to what I used to do, higher fat, lower carb, mm-hmm. because I've always done better on that myself. I just like the way she was doing it, though. It's a very intelligent and smart approach to doing it. But back to your point, Sincere, <clears throat> I think sometimes people jump on these quote-unquote trendy bandwagons because it's a way to elevate their status. So they don't even give a fuck about Absolutely. a ketogenic diet. Right. That's just a buzzword right now. So they're going, well, shit, I need to get on this whole keto thing. Although, why do you have to up, to up my stock in the marketplace? Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same with any, like, defending, defending the homeless or, uh, uh, like, the fat shaming thing. People often will create... For example, uh, Mike, just like me, when you, you have the, the, the well-being of animals like uh, deep in your heart, but we really believe in that. So when we talk right. about it, uh, then it, it's because we live it. I mean, uh, I have right. one time like six dogs in my house, but you have people like defending <laughs> women's rights, and they don't care. They really don't care. Right, uh, right. It's just a trendy thing have, to like, do. Rich, yeah, they don't even like hanging out with women. Well, defending you know? <laughs> the, the black people. Right. But it's because they need a cause to feel good about themselves, to increase yeah. their own self-esteem, because now you have... Well, you know, talking about white people, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what's funny is when... Look, I grew up in D.C. I've grown up with black people my entire life, right? I use the word black people. Now, to some people, that's politically incorrect. They're like, no, it's African-American. And what's funny is when a white person says that, like, it's not black, it's African-American. I was like, based on your experience, it's what? Like, I don't need some fucking <laughs> white person telling me how to talk like, to uh, minorities. Uh, so you're not part you of get the a club. Vote. <laughs> but you yeah, don't get a exactly. vote. <laughs> Who the fuck are you to tell me how I should be talking to other minorities? You know, I'm not black, but I'm not fucking white either. So the last thing I need is a white person telling me what what verbiage I should be using. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff really cracks me up. Yeah. yeah. Hey, people, when you have a girl, as I mentioned earlier, a white, rich girl who probably has never seen like a black person live in her life, how she's the greatest black people's <laughs> rights activist. So that's just creating right. a cause to make yourself feel good about yourself. Yeah, she would never date a black guy in her life. She would never date a black guy in her life. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. She doesn't have any black Three friends, and she would never date a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the girl will walk down the street. They see a black person. Can I take a selfie with you to show that I really care about minorities? <laughs> <laughs> I bet that happens every day. <laughs> this is my good friend. Uh, what's your name again? You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But you know, Christian, going back to one of your early points, because I can relate in a different way. When you said that when you were overweight, women didn't give you the time of day. And then when you changed your look and you got in more muscular rip shape, all of a sudden heads are turning. I had a similar experience, <clears throat> different situation, but I was speaking at an event. It was, I was speaking at this fitness business summit, and this is 2007. And I was a last minute speaker added to the list. And this is after I'd left Dragon Door, I left Pavel's organization, so I was somewhat in a reinvention phase. A lot of people thought I had quit the business, so I was purposely putting myself out there to make sure people knew I was in the game still. But anyway, I was probably the least known speaker out of the entire event. A lot of people didn't even know I was a speaker. So that all, all of the little meet and greet shingdings, everybody's trying to talk to the other speakers, and this is before everyone did selfies, but everyone's trying to get their attention, and some people had portable camera phones for taking photos, et cetera. No one gave me the time of day. It's like, who else? Like, I don't know who this guy is. He's nobody, though, so we don't need to talk to him. Not that I cared. I wasn't trying to mingle with anybody. But I was the last speaker to go on the last day. And I was so irritated by how people's energy was like that towards me that I got, not only am I going to go up there and give a great speech, I'm going to destroy every single other person who spoke at this event. They're, they're going to be nothing compared to what I do. And that's what I did. I went up there and just crushed, right? Just crushed for an hour and a half. Afterwards, those same people that didn't give me the time of day were lining up to get photos and tell me how great I am and so forth. And it really pissed me off. In fact, I was, I don't know if I was visibly angry, but inside I was like, fucking shallow twat. I was like, two days ago, you wouldn't even, didn't even notice I was in the room. Now I'm the greatest guy in the world and, <clears throat> and so inspiring and so forth. So yeah, people are shallow. But you know what? People are shallow on both sides, right? There are a lot of women who used to be overweight, and no one gave them the time of day. All of a sudden, they lose weight, and they get in great shape, and people are going, Absolutely. oh, wow, you look great, and so forth. But, uh, attract, physical attraction starts with physical attraction, of course. For the, the, your looks only gives you an addition. Your personality right. allows you to take the role. <laughs> that's right? a good, that's but, a great way to put it. Well, like I always, like I always say, man, you, you got all these new model Kias. They look nice, but inside they're still a Kia. You know, they may <laughs> they may look similar like to a BMW, but they're not BMWs, man. They don't run like a BMW just because it looks like one. And now it, it does not run the same. I don't care what you say. I was like, dude, those Kias look nice, nah, bro. It's, but it's a Kia. I'm sorry. I'm like, like a, it's like a it's like a Saturn, right? <laughs> Some of the Saturns look kind of nice, but it's a fucking Saturn. You know, how seriously could we take this car? Right? <laughs> if you actually show me Saturn, I'd be more okay. <laughs> Like my car, man? Yeah. Like, nah, it's a Saturn. Because <laughs> yeah. trust me, no matter how they get that body in shape, man, if they were an asshole before that, they're just going to be a, a, a much more fit asshole. <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's a good point. And also relating back to you, Christian, you're still the same person. So it's not like you were a cool guy when you were overweight and then you're an a-hole when you got in shape. You're still that same I person. I was never a cool guy and I'm not a cool guy at that, at that moment right now. It's not among my traits. Cool guy as his likable person. The smirky guy, but I cannot be a cool guy. 
well, I'd rather be a strong guy than a cool guy. <laughs> you know, so it's rather be a smart guy than a cool guy. So that does, you have better qualities. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's, uh, I'm not the same person, and, and I'm actually very good with helping people with their problems. So I was the eternal right. best friend. Right? So that right. was always the, the, because I, I, I mean, I remember one day uh, there was well, not one. It was an evening, and uh, it was a, a football party after a game, and, and this girl was, was just being dumped by her, by her boyfriend. So I spent the whole evening with her, trying to console her and all that stuff. Of course, I fell in love with her. She didn't, and. From that moment, of course not. Every morning, every morning, every morning, I would actually walk to her door at five a.m. in the morning to drop a poem in her mailbox. That's bad. Oh boy! Hold on, I just want to help everyone. No, no, I want to help everyone with the accent. He said poem, not porn. I know that. The French Canadian accent made that sound kind of bad. But that's ridiculous. So I did that for like a month, and one day I arrived, and there was a letter in the mailbox. So I said, she finally replied. So I opened the letter, just stop bringing fucking poems. And, and the, the French <laughs> language has actually a lot more swear words than you have in English, so it was a lot more explicative than that. But let's just say it was <laughs> the last time I ever if, 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 Look, there's, there's nothing less attractive to a woman than being as yeah. safe yes. as possible. Yes. So once once you're once you're a very safe person, that's great for friend zone material. But there should be a little bit of nervousness and almost intimidation. And I'm not talking about violence or abuse. Just a little bit of like, whoa, uh, let me be at my best when he walks in the room, type thing. As opposed to like, oh, he's such a nice guy to talk to. I'm going to talk to Christian about Bob all night long, and he'll listen. <laughs> and he thinks yeah, Christian the whole time. The whole time is thinking, how am I going to get in them drawers? You know, before the night's over, <laughs> you're not getting it. On a side note, Christian, the they've, they've got laws against what you were doing, bro. Those are actually laws on the books against what you were doing. <laughs> that was like borderline yeah, assault. <laughs> and mail fraud. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a federal offense in the United States, bro. Two felony accounts. How how long how long ago was this? You know, you may still be in trouble for that. That's your limitation. I think that's To get back to what you were saying, Mike, I mean, well, one thing I've noticed, and I, I've called it the rule of three seconds. Normally, when a girl meets you, within three seconds, she knows if she can potentially sleep with you or not. And oh, yeah. regardless of what you do once her her mind is made up, there is no way, no way you can change your mind positively if the first reaction is no. I mean, unless right. I mean, if you drug her or something, don't, don't do that. Uh, if you don't pass the three-second test, then there's no way of getting some of that. Unless you get on stage and give a great speech, then there's no other way to turn that around. <laughs> that actually works pretty well. You have, that you have to read. Well. Look, people are impre- look. Anyone who can get in front of a room and kill it—that's that's a very rare skill. Let's just be honest. Most people are petrified at public speaking. They don't even want to speak at a family reunion, you know, let alone in front of a hundred strangers. So if you can get in front of a room and exude mad confidence, that separates you from the herd real fast. Yep. Yep. That's been my experience. Sadly for me, I, I'm, I'm great in front of a crowd. I'm lousy in social situations. So I would actually, yeah. if I ever get divorced, I would actually have to speak in front of a crowd 24-7 if I, get a, if I want to have a chance to meet someone new. <laughs> <laughs> 
actually call him seminar Chris. The, the per, it's funny because when I give a seminar, I actually morph into some – I'm, I'm really introverted normally. I'm shy. I'm not confident. Uh, but when I, I present, I become like an alpha male version of myself, and it, that right. lingers for a few hours. Yeah, so last time I, well, I, well, I all, all, of, all of us, all of us experience that. All of us experience that. Every, every any, any any of us who've ever been in front of a group, I feel the same way. I need sometimes, but sometimes right before I was, I'm about to start a course, I would have that nervous energy, which I always liked because it keeps me sharp. But the second I got in front of the room, it's like, boom, you transcribe form. Like Beyonce had a great yeah. analogy. She, she calls herself Sasha Fierce when she's performing because she says she's shy as well. But she goes into Sasha Fierce mode, boom, totally different person. It goes back to the dopamine we talked about earlier. You know, it's just you're Actually, riding off that dopamine action. high when you feel it. You're like, Damn. Dopamine, adrenaline, yeah. both will impact on Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're giving you praise once you get off that stage. That helps even more. So you, they're prolonging the high, you know, just by doing that as well. Yeah. So, right. Exactly. But then it's kind of yeah. self-defeating once you go back to the room. You're like, you're back in your hotel room by yourself. And you're like, it can be one of two ways. You're like, it's defeating because you're like, okay, now the high is gone. And you're like, you're thinking like, I can't wait to do it again. Or you're thinking like, okay, yeah, that I killed that. And so, but I actually need some time to myself now because that was a little overwhelming oh, to deal with all those people after the fact. And that's usually who I am. I'm like, I just want to go be by myself. I don't want to talk to anyone after that. It's just like, okay, enough. <laughs> after a seminar, it's always Netflix for like six hours. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay, let me yeah. go ahead and catch him on Defenders now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to go back to the hotel room, chill out for a little bit. All right, before we go further, let's, let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk about what you wrote in those poems, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I would. <laughs> And I have Google Translate, so whatever, man. Flowers were involved. Uh, I mean, I, I bought her a teddy bear. I bought her like, like uh, and, and here's the thing, right? And that's actually going to explain like the the whole man. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on a second. I gotta I gotta take two caps of EC first before I hear the rest of this. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> So I was the uh, same girl, right? So, uh, of course, I was still madly in love with her despite her hateful letter. Uh, a friend, uh, two friends of mine and myself, we went to Philadelphia to watch uh, Cowboys and Eagles game. Uh, and while there, I bought like a, like a Lion King teddy bear, uh, like ear, earrings and stuff like that. And for the whole weekend, I was telling my friend how great this girl was. She was the love of my life. Nah, 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 nah. So when I got back home, I gave her the teddy bear and I gave her uh, the earrings. And of course, she was not moved at all. One week later, she's going out with my best friend, the guy I was with in Philadelphia and to whom I confided how, how much I loved that girl. But he was like the typical fat boy with high confidence, risk taker, all that stuff. So that's... Uh, I guess it's not as funny as it expected to be, but it just it just shows how uh, when you don't have a shot, you don't have a shot, and personality does play a big role. But well, not not, not much of a friend, not much of a friend there either. You're sitting there confiding in this guy, and he's like, "Oh shit, man! You know that's my I see an opportunity right here. I'm going for it." <laughs> you know what the worst thing is, and I'm going to com completely destroy my earlier argument. He was obese, severely obese. Right. It's never about laugh. yeah. It's never about physique with men. It's more. It's more of confidence. You could be three hundred pounds, but if you're, you're mad confident, then you're not going to have any problems. 
Absolutely, that's been my experience. And if he's confident and he can make her laugh, and he, or he can sing, you're out, Christian. Forget it. It's not happening. So, so that I don't care how many you stutter, you're good. I don't, care, I don't care how many poems you write. You know, you have no chance. <laughs> the poems and self-confidence, they don't really go hand in hand. Normally, the more poems you write, the less self-confidence you have. There's a you got to give that one off, man. <laughs> but I think in my case, the fact that when I got lean, it's more that I became more self-confident. In fact, I think right, the first year I was in shape, I actually developed an ego. And my friend actually like made a remark about it. I mean, you're not the same person. And it's probably because I overcompensated. But I did become more self-confident because I liked the way I looked. And that yeah. probably was... Made That's me the most important enough. thing. If you like the way you look, regardless of what you look like, you're going to be good. Yeah. And then other people pick up on that. They're like, okay, they'll, they'll, when you come in with that swagger, they're going to pick up on that. So my, oh, I've even seen, yeah. I've seen, I've seen overweight chicks who care with, compared to like even a slim chick who is like just a little bit shy. But the overweight chick is like radiating confidence. Like, yeah, I know you want this. And you're like, you know what? A few minutes ago I didn't, but now that you brought it up, there's no woman who's more confident than an overweight black woman. They have mad sweat. If they, if they find you attractive, they'll walk right up. They don't give a damn if you find them attractive. They're going to come right up to you and be like, hey, I think you're hot. <laughs> you know, if you want this, I'm down. You know, Baby, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I've been hit on by more black women than any other women, and – Every single time, it's fun, <laughs> you know, when it happens. You know, I'm not complaining at all, but it's just mad confidence. And like Sincere said, sometimes it's a situation where if you just saw them walking by, you may not think about it, but just the way they're coming at you with that confidence, all of a sudden you're like, well, shit, wasn't looking before, but now I am. Confidence <laughs> yeah. is attractive, man. You know, even even your male confidence, right? Well, even you know, attraction, attraction is part of every friendship, right? If you're... Even your male friends, there's a level of attraction there. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. sexual or anything else, but they have confidence. You have confidence. You, are, you find that attractive. Who wants? If you're a confident person, why would you want to be around a bunch of people who are not confident? You want to be around other people yeah. that are confident, or too. Hang around some people who are naysayers, who have no ambitions in life. And when you're somebody right. that's highly motivated and you're doing things, you're going to eventually, like, even if those you have friends like that now, and you're like, okay, man, I'm going forward. I want to get this business going. I want to do this, this, and the other. And they're just the same old, same old guys, quote unquote, where every time you see them, like, hey, what's going on? Same old, same old. Eventually, that friendship is going to be a little strained. Or you're not going to spend right. as much time together as you did before. And, and you're going to find yourself being around new people. It's just like, it's just, the universe is going to work that way if you want to get very spiritual about it. It's just going to start motivating right. towards different type of people more like you. Like attracts like. I don't want to hear 100%. that opposites attract bullshit. That's yeah, right. total nonsense. People who are confident, they want to be around confident people. But people <laughs> right. who are low self-esteem, uh, they actually like to be around people like them because they don't make them feel inferior. So Thanks. that's right. When we, say we, that's are, right. we are the average of the five people we, we hang the most with. It's actually accurate. Not Maybe right. not because you become these people, but because... Uh, you, if you're confident, you just will not stay with people who drag you down. And if you lack self-confidence, you don't want to be around people who make you feel inferior. Right, right, right. 
They'll weed themselves out. You don't even have to be rude and tell them to go away. They'll find a way to exit the whole thing, man. They'll find a way. Yeah. Hey, man, I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, yeah, man, just been busy, man, work, you know. They'll find some way. Or I see you doing <laughs> your thing. I don't want to hold you back. You know, I know you're doing your thing. I know you're busy, so I didn't want to call you and bother you. They'll find a way to extract themselves from the whole thing, man, eventually. Right. Or they'll just hate on you. They'll hate on you. They'll, they'll say some passive-aggressive stuff like, why are you doing that? You still trying to do that? You still trying to make that business? How's that working? Da, da, da. They'll find passive aggressive things to do, which is pretty much their that's their permission. They're giving you permission to kick them to the curb at that yeah. point because they, you know they're too chicken crap to do it themselves. So yeah, there's there's a time and place to be passive aggressive, and the time is never. You can figure out the right. Place. <laughs> you know, there's, there's never there's never a time where being passive aggressive is useful, man. Either be aggressive or shut the f up. Don't come at me with this passive aggressive bullshit. Where you're trying to look for a back door in case it backfires. It's like, well, I was just kidding around. It's like, no, you weren't. Oh, that, yeah. that right there. I was just joking. <laughs> no, you were feeling it out and see if you can get away with it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's all that was. Now, and also when, when, when people put you in kind of a mentor role too, that can be irritating as well because now every time you meet up, it's, it's a brain picking session. It's like, well, look, I didn't come out for this. I didn't come out here to give you free advice for two hours that you're not going to use. <laughs> you know? <laughs> No, it's, it's a, you have some people who are genuinely interested, but most of these people, they just actually want to be accepted by you. They, they want you to like them, so they pretend to be interested so that you think right. highly of them, but it, it just backfires. That's right. Or they, they, they pretend they, to be interested in things that they're not even interested in because you're interested yeah. in them. But that's because yeah, well, people, they, they would, use it as an excuse to hang out with you so they can claim to be your friend. So they can post, post you know, selfies of you on Instagram, like yeah. hanging out with my friend, Sincere Hogan, hanging out with my buddy, Mike Mahler. Like, <laughs> lunch once. <laughs> One lunch. <laughs> like, I'm We're not friends. Man. That was a sponsorship. That was a, that was a feed the children session. What are you talking about? Yeah, we went how it was, and I paid for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> if we were friends, no, you would have at least picked up the bill. My brain was too large, and I paid tax for it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a tax write-off. You call it a friendship. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, man, that question, go ahead, go ahead. You know, like you said, yeah, man, there's, gonna... there's nothing wrong about? with, yeah, there's nothing wrong with actually, like, okay, I, I get what you're saying when you're saying that not letting like society tell you like, oh, you're wrong for being overweight because, you know, who are they? You know, they don't know your business. But at the same time, not to just sit there and accept that or just be pissed off about that. You know, you still want to aspire to be healthy. So no one's saying that you need to drop down and be size zero to make society feel better about themselves. Who gives a F about society? But the thing is, take care of yourself, man. So, of course, you want to aspire to get healthier and stronger. And, and because, again, trust me, you will feel good if you do it the right way. Now, if you go and try to just do it like you're trying to kill the workout because you're, you're like, I'm going to show those people you don't call me fat. Okay, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, and that motivation won't last very long if you're right. doing it just to piss them off. Because you're going to end up pissing yourself off. And then you'll be one of those people who say, you know, I used to work out all the time. I used to do deadlifts and blah, blah, but I hurt myself. Or, you know, it's bad for my back. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be one of those guys like, nah, you, you went about it the wrong way. So make sure that you're doing it for yourself. And it's all right. about improving yourself. Because that's what evolution is all about. <laughs> because yeah. if we just, if, if single cell amoeba felt the way you did, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. We'd still be like floating around in the ocean. You <laughs> know, single cell amoeba. This is well, I mean, resent, resentment never, yeah, resentment never leads to improvement. 
So when people try to use no, resentment as a drive, just like jealousy, right? Jealousy is a wasted emotion because if you really wanted what the other person had, you should be focused on getting it instead of wasting time just being envious of someone else's accomplishments. And you don't even but know what they have. It, it may look like one way, but then it may be worth it. You know, you know, you want right, to you want right. to sit there and win like ten million dollars in the lottery because this other guy did, and then you get it, and all of a sudden you got new relatives popping up. You got the IRS constantly knocking at your door. And you're like, you know what? Life was much better when I was making twenty two dollars an hour at my job, <laughs> and then I could just be happier. And nobody was begging me for anything. And now you got all these new friends, and everybody's knocking down your door. But you want to be like that other guy. You want to be a multi millionaire lottery winner like the other guy was. So. Careful what you wish for, especially when you don't know what it all entails having it or what that person did to get it. And that's the other thing, because everybody loves to look at the diamonds that everybody's wearing, but nobody wants to go into the coal mine and dig it out, you know, and have to sit there and break rocks in the dark and trying to find diamonds. Yeah, or how many kids were abused <laughs> to get that diamond. Or kill or die, you know, to get that yeah. diamond. Yeah, exactly. Everybody wants these shiny little rocks. They don't realize how much it's predicated on human suffering unnecessary human suffering because let's be honest it's a fucking rock it's not worth shit to right. and it's actually not worth anything it doesn't have any real it's not worth anything it's a, it's a made yeah. of value right if somebody, if somebody just looked at it and said hey since, since all these kids die for that that makes it even more value so hey that carrot right there is going to be worth 20 million dollars <laughs> why you know if, well, if, if, one, if, one, if one kid suffered for 10 minutes it's too expensive hey, right People have to just look at where the money that you spent on that could have been allocated towards Project Child Save or some organization. You could have saved a thousand kids. And then what do you spend all that money on that diamond for just so it can impress people that you can give two craps about? You know, you can show them, like, look at my, my 10 carat, you know, ring, and my wedding ring, whatever. Like, oh, what wow. But then secretly they all hate you. for a predator when you walk down Las Vegas Boulevard. It's like now, now you're more right. likely to get mugged because you got that fucking $10,000 ring on your hand. <laughs> Right. Like, have fun with that. <laughs> now you're a target. You weren't a target without it. Now you have that ring, and they're like, "Oh well, she must have a lot of money. I'm gonna mug her, get that right. ring, and then take her to the ATM machine, get everything else I can." So yeah, yeah it's just meaningless. There's, just, there's too much. Too many people work hard doing jobs they hate to acquire things that are meaningless. That's not going to add any value to your life or happiness in any way. You know, it's because they feel empty and they just want things. They want something to fill the void. And they think right. that material right. things yeah. will actually fill that void. But the problem is, and that's why you see so many rich people unhappy, because the more money they get, the more goods they get, the more they realize that it will never fill that void, they feel. And that realization is really depressing because they basically build their own life, their own uh, existence on acquiring goods to make them feel better about themselves or make them feel happy. And they realize that they've been wasting their whole life trying to achieve something that they will never get. Right. And that is a really tough, uh, really tough realization. So it's not about that. It's about quality time with the people you love. It's about dogs. It's about just living your life and loving what you do. Really, it's it's yes. uh, right now. I, I, I mean, what's 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 better? No, what's better than waking up and being enthusiastic about your life? You're waking up and going, man, I get to yeah. do what I enjoy doing. I'm around people yeah. I want to be around. You can't beat that. I, I, my life is better than it ever was. Right now, it's it's just everything is perfect, and I'm not trying to accumulate anything. I'm not trying to gain more money and just trying to live the way I want because before it's too late. 
I lived the first exactly. 40, 40 years of my life not being happy. So I just said, well, it's right. past two right. years. It's it, Now I, I, I want to live life for life itself. And I, and you know what? I'm making a shit ton more money than I was. I'm making a yeah. lot more money than when I was trying to gain more money because I thought that this was the thing I needed to do. Now I'm trying right. to be happy, trying to help people out, and, and money's coming in, but I don't even care. Right. Right. That's a great place yeah. to be. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, he's going to find more happiness. Start getting rid of point. stuff, man. The less stuff you have, because mm-hmm. there's less weight on you. They have to carry that stuff around. So that right there is just happiness in itself. That's what freedom starts to feel like when you don't have to right. worry about oh, I now I've accumulated all this stuff and I'm still making payments on all this stuff. So mm-hmm. you're constantly thinking like, how am I going to pay this? I need to pay this. I need to pay that. When is this due? When is that due? When you start minimalizing all this stuff, and then you realize again. You're not going to be able to take it with you anyway. If you were to get hit by a car tomorrow, <laughs> you know, it's like, man, what's going to happen with all that stuff? Well, the state's probably going to take it if you didn't have a will. Or your family members are going to try to kill each other over it because they feel like they have a claim to it just because they were related to you. Just because of DNA, they feel like they have a right to your stuff. <laughs> you know, even your children would be thinking that. So, like, no. So that's that's also a good reason to think about, you know, getting a will. Like, I'm just like, I'd rather give everything to charity to people that truly need it than to sit there and pay off family members just because we were related. Um, that's not something to be rewarded for financially. <laughs> just because, you know, just because of the DNA pool, like, we struck the DNA lottery together. I'm, I'm good on that. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but yeah, like I said, just so much. When you actually just focus on being happy and not getting all this stuff, man, it's amazing how much stuff you actually start getting and more opportunities that you have because you're not being distracted by all this other crap. Hey, I decided. No, I decided. I decided to let my dog out. One of my dogs is on oh, okay. his heart medication, so Grover has to okay. he has to urinate a little bit more than he normally does. Fortunately, I've got a door to my backyard in my office. I just let him out right there. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, Christian, back to these poems you wrote. You know what's writer. funny? I feel like Christian can write those poems now. He can he can publish those right now. And yeah. you'd be amazed probably all the hot chicks would be like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, my yeah, exactly. Workout poems. And then all you have to do is post a picture of himself on the cover. Trust me. They'll go like, oh, my God, he's the most sensitive, like, fitness dude I've ever met. <laughs> and that same chick might pop up, too. She's like, oh, my God. I have like, to tell Christian, sincere, I mean, uh, Chris, <laughs> Christian trying to combine his training knowledge with the poetry going – Oh, I think you're a great catch, and I can't wait to work on your snatch. Then <laughs> if that backfires, if that backfires, he's like, hey, I was talking about your Olympic lifting snatch. Don't be doing it. <laughs> That's the real reason why she got mad, right? Said, don't write those poems anymore. <laughs> okay, let's talk about, before we wrap up, let's talk about, you, you wrote another article that's also really good because you talked about a lot of misconceptions with body fat percentages that people profess when you posted a picture of you where you're just shredded right you're ripped looking good and to someone who doesn't know better you, we would think you're at maybe five percent six percent body fat and you're actually at 9.2 percent body fat which is still a great number it's just higher than what we would expect but all i got to say is if you're 9.2 percent in that picture then there's a lot of people who stay there six percent who are probably 16 percent 
Absolutely. Well, I, there's been a recent study showing that the lowest percentage that a male can carry, like, for more than a few minutes and live is 5%. <laughs> like, right. bodybuilders on the Olympia stage are likely 6, 6.5, right. maybe 7 body fat. People just have a bad conception of, of, of what a certain percentage of body fat looks like. Of course, when you talk about, like, uh, the problem is that most of the measurement devices we are using are inaccurate. Uh, like right. with skinful calipers, I mean, uh, I remember one time a friend of mine measured me at 4.1% body fat, and I had at least 20 pounds to lose to look really ripped, to look like I, I did in the picture. Then I went to Spain with, uh, with Charles Polican for the biosignature course. Back then it was biosignature. And depending on who measured me, I was anywhere between 6 and 16%. Then when I got home, my friend measured me again, and this time I was unmeasurable, so less than 0%. So within a, like a 10-day period, I was anywhere between 0 and 16% body fat, depending on who measured me. So it, it, very, uh, it does not have any... Validity. I stopped measuring client uh, five or six years ago. I mean, if someone insists, I'll still do it. I don't like to do it because people focus so much on the number instead of focusing on how they are feeling, how they are improving right. physically speaking, the performance, uh, and how they're looking. Because really, you don't need a number to tell you if you're in shape or not. If you need a number, then there's probably, probably, probably not in shape. Right. And, and if you and get there, 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 there are people who look like they're overweight who are in great shape. You know, they can sprint yeah. all day long. They're strong in the gym. They can do long distance running. And looking at them, you would think, but that person doesn't even look like they work out. So there's a lot of misconceptions about what we think are fit. When we think of someone who's in great shape, we think of someone who's shredded. And sometimes that's the case. But a lot of times it's not the case. But just look at the UFC as a perfect example, right? We watch the UFC, and sometimes sometimes the people with the best physiques have the worst conditioning. Sometimes yeah. they have it all. But then there's people who look like if you saw them on the street, you would never think they're quote unquote a professional fighter because of the preconceived notions you have of what a professional fighter looked like. Even the gladiators in ancient Rome, they would probably be considered obese by today's standards when you looked at what their diet was and their body fat. They were not well, it, it, the way the guys are in Spartacus or Gladiator or anything like that. I believe that a, a true 10 to 12% body fat is probably the best percentage for overall athletic performance. Keep in mind that right. what, I, what right. I say is 10 to 12%, most people will define that as 8% body fat. Again, if you go by my picture, right. I was 9.2%. I would not have been capable of performing at an optimal level at that percentage. Uh, my, my strength was down. My, my stamina was down. My, 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 uh, my well-being was significantly down. I was lazy. Right. Uh, now, right now, um, let's say 50, I want to say 10 pounds, 12 or 15 pounds heavier than I am on those pictures. So still fairly lean. I mean, still vain, right. still the definition of the shoulders, still look good, but I can perform at a much higher level. I feel much better right. uh, most right. of the time. Like, these pictures that people post, oftentimes they're also, I mean, you see that someone, let's say, for example, takes selfies, right? 
They're going to take 12 selfies under the best possible lighting in the world. Then they're going to use two or three different filters just to make sure they look absolutely <laughs> awesome. Then they, dude, I'm 6% body fat. And then the, the, the beginner looks at that and you think, okay, I, I, I need to reach that look. But that look, maybe he was dehydrated under the perfect lighting. He took right. 10 pictures and only I took the one that he looked decent and put on a filter that made it look better. That's a big problem right. I have with social media. They create false expectations of what is achievable. I was talking right. just before the podcast with a, a client of mine. Well, he's not a client. He's a, someone who hires people, just comes up and asks me questions and stuff like that. He sent me uh -huh. a couple of pictures. And the guy looks awesome. Uh, not like bodybuilder awesome, but like fairly lean and very athletic. Looks like a running back. And right. he was, he, he's pissed because you know, I don't look like those fitness guy. I mean, I'm not shredded. I need to take steroids. Dude, don't take steroids. These guys, first of all, yeah, they probably are on steroids, but they're not healthy. They're not happy. Uh, and they don't look the way they look in the pictures you're seeing. So he was like super, the guy is like probably a real 10% body fat, good back, good right. arms, great legs, looks awesome. But he was, he was depressed when he called me. He, he was depressed. He had a negative mindset because he felt he didn't measure up. That's kind of like the same thing as the girl who looks at the super skinny girls. I don't measure up. Yeah, but it's not realistic. So right. that's the problem I have with people uh, talking about I'm 6% body fat. And people say, okay, I need to be 6% body fat to look good. Dude, that dude is like 12%, maybe 15%. Right. So if you have unrealistic expectations from training, it will lead. Okay. If you have, you look at a model and I need to look like that, you're going to overtrain, you're going to undereat. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to start taking drugs. You're going to screw up your health, and you're not going to get better results. So that's the problem I have with those false conceptions about what can be achieved with training. Because everybody can become better, perform better, look better, feel better with proper training and nutrition. But when it becomes excessive, and I'm all, I love training, but if you're training two hours per session twice a day because you think that's what you need to do to achieve those results, you're going to completely screw up your health. You're going to overproduce cortisol like crazy. You're going to stay in sympathetic mode all the time. You won't be able to sleep. You're going to deplete your dopamine. You're going to be depressed because of that. You're gonna... I remember when I was a kid, I was like 22, 23, I was that excessive guy who, who trained four hours a day because I desperately needed to look great. And I remember one day I was driving away from the gym, and I, I'm thinking to myself, I only need to veer left, and it will all be over. That's how deep in, in sorrow and depression I was, so yeah. only because I was overtraining, undereating, and depleting my, my dopamine, depleting my serotonin, and feeling like crap overall. Yeah. And that's a real problem. If you, I'm, I'm all for training hard. I believe that most people don't train hard enough to get gains, but they compensate sure. by training more. So they don't <laughs> put in real effort. So instead of just learning to train better and training harder, they train more. And they train more, they just overproduce cortisol like crazy because cortisol is directly related to training volume. Then they cannot get asleep because they are constantly in that fight or flight mode. And then they undereat right. on top of that. They lack all the right nutrients. They deplete their neurotransmitter. They get depressed. And then they start yeah. doing crazy stuff because once you have that dopamine depletion, 
because you've done too much work, then you cannot control yourself. You're going to eat crap. Now you're eating crap. You're feeling bad about yourself, and you're going to compensate by training by training twice as much to burn up the excess calories. You should never use a weight training session to burn calories. That is completely right. stupid. Right. Should, uh, the weight training session is to improve your performance or your muscle mass. It is not yeah. a tool to burn calories. Of course you're burning calories. You're doing physical work. But that's not the purpose of the session. And if you start to increase your volume to burn more calories, you're going to hurt yourself. Uh, not, not just like injury. I'm talking about depleting some neurotransmitters, feeling like crap, feeling depressed, hating life every moment of the day. Right. So what good is it to be in great shape if you feel like crap? When I was in my best physical condition, I was my most unhappy. Because I tried to maintain that 8% body fat year-round. I did way too much volume. I, did, I, I, I dieted way too hard. I, I would never get out of the house. Uh, I was an asshole to everybody. I had no social contact with anybody just because I felt bad all the time. So uh, right. it, it's great that you are a quote-unquote fitness model on Instagram, uh, but that will not get you happy. No, it will not do that. But and when you, yeah, when you, when you're motivated by the opinions of others, that's problematic already. Absolutely, but but it's a lot more common than we think. I would say that. Oh, it's extremely common. At least, I would say at least sixty percent of the population and people. It comes from low self-esteem, right? Because if you have low self-esteem then you need the approval of others to feel good about yourself. Why do you think so many men or women cheat on their spouse? It's because they often, yes, sometimes they have high sex drive, but a lot of them, it's because they need to feel desired. Like a friend right. of mine used to cheat a lot on his girlfriend, and he doesn't actually like sex. He's not someone who likes sex a lot, but he needs to feel desired. And it's the same thing right. with behavior, like social media. They need to feel admired. And that is 100% low self-esteem. And that, I that, that's, that's, why with, that's why with cheating, it's not – people are always like, oh, man, you, know, you got that at home, and that's what you cheated with, and they're missing the whole yeah, point. Yeah. It's, it's, about, it's about how the other woman made you feel. She may make you feel like you're that's fucking the king of the world. You know, she may make you yeah. feel like you're the greatest guy to walk the earth. And you're not getting that at home. So that's going to be very appealing. Or, Absolutely. or you might get that at home, but you get that elsewhere too because you're addicted to that 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 feeling. So at home is just not enough. It's like okay, another okay. woman gave me attention, and another one, and another one. So it's just like you get addicted yeah. to all that attention. Even like I know it's hard for some dudes to think of that, but yeah, you too. You know, you get all that attention, and you want more of it because again, it comes back to the theme of the day: dopamine. <laughs> you know, you're addicted to that, man. And, that, and you notice that oftentimes the side chick looks looks a lot worse. Why? Because they will <laughs> exactly. make you feel even more special. Because right. it's, not a, it's, not, it's not about the looks. Yeah. It's about how she's making you feel. That's the thing. Absolutely. You know, she may well, she may have five look as good. A girl who doesn't look as good will tend to go out of her way to make you feel special. She, she that's will right. appreciate you more. So that's why I'm saying right. that oftentimes the psychic doesn't look as good as the wife. Because right. Right. And she and the same is the dude, too. It's like, 
You're like, why, why did the ugly dude get that chick? He had nothing to lose. Okay, <laughs> so you know when you're the the good looking guy, you got a lot less, you got you got a lot more to lose. So you're gonna be a little bit more careful by you know the choices that you make. You know, whereas the ugly dude, he or you just considered unattractive, he has nothing to lose, so he's gonna shoot his shot all the time, and he's gonna end up hitting the basket. Okay, sooner or later, you you know you're sitting there, you're playing it safe, dude. <laughs> but yeah, you know even with that low self esteem, that also plays even just with a whole beyond social media, even a society because. That's why a lot of world leaders can talk their countrymen, you know, into becoming just assholes. You can get a Hitler to have Germany turn on the on the Jews because you start playing upon everyone's – you tear down their self-esteem and make right. them feel like they're inferior. And then show them like, okay, now, you know, I even though you made them feel inferior, you've tried to put it on someone else and you dressed it up the right way. You know, now that they've already been vulnerable now, feeling like they're inferior, it's easy to tell them that, oh, I wasn't the one that did this. You know, I'm just bringing it to, I'm just bringing attention, you know, to it, to you. It was these other people over here who did it. Now, what are you going to do about it? Oh, you don't know what to do about it? I'll help you find out what you can do about it. Let's get rid of them because we are not inferior. And all of a sudden now you're playing the hero. You know, it's kind of like this Stockholm syndrome. It's like, okay, you're sitting there kidnapping me. You're raping me. But now all of a sudden you're making it seem like you're doing me a favor and, you know, and that I owe you because you saved me. And then they, and they buy into that. So. Yeah. Again, that's what happened. He played on, on German pride, reestablishing German pride, and it was it was after World War One, right? So it, the, the self esteem right. of the population was already super low. It just right. needed a push in the right direction to crumble right. completely, and then you you make them believe that you will bring them back up to their greatness. So that is a very mm, powerful, very powerful strategy. <laughs> Sounds very well, I mean, another, another, another analogy is uh, is what happened in Rwanda. Nine hundred thousand people yep, butchered in exactly. ninety days. You know, it was a similar type situation of blaming one group. It's like, hey, the the Tutsis are the reason why we have all these problems. We need to wipe them out. And then people that were coexisting peacefully turned on each other in the most horrific mm-hmm. manner. Yeah, here's here's one thing that you always have to remember, people, is that no group of people is going to make you be subservient. Or whatever. It starts with an individual. It's an individual. So no group of people is bringing this bad thing to you by yourself. It, somebody, it right. starts with individuals. You got to start with the individual. You know, it's not like, yeah. oh, you know, all these Indian guys, you know, they hate white people. They got to take them out. Okay, Mike, that makes you conflicted. What do you, which side do you choose, Mike? <laughs> you know, it's just like, so, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. It, it comes not, not down, only, group, a, only an individual easy. can make you feel bad. And that individual is you right. because you gave that person permission to make you feel bad. Exactly. That's, That's so, exactly the point. So there's That's the right. issue. That's right. So same thing about fat shaming. You can't shame me. Somebody, just like you can't black shame me. You can't make me feel bad. You can't call me a thug or whatever else and make me feel bad. Like, I know who I am. Like, you're the idiot. You don't even know me, dude. So you're not making me feel any kind of way by saying those type things. You know, they, that has nothing to do with me. Now, if you're going to be disrespectful and get in my face, then I can make a decision, you know, how I'm going to deal with that. <laughs> you know, so it's like, okay, you're not going to just sit here and get in my face or touch me. You know, if you touch me, then, hey, I got the law on my side. That's assault. So I can defend myself right. now. <laughs> That's way different. But just, you sit there and call me a name from across the street. Hey, N. I'm just like, okay, I hope a car hits you. Okay. I'm not going to actually get in the car and go over and hit you myself. Mike Tyson had a really funny story how he was walking around New York City one time and someone drove by and just yelled out the N-bomb at him. And he got so mad, he's running after this car. Oh, yeah, he's, he's like, I'm shooting this car. car down for four blocks. And he's like, he's like, what am I, he's like, he's like, what am I doing? Yeah, exactly. I'm in a suit and tie running after this car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, confidence, it's, it's, it's similar to Christian with the poetry. I mean, if he was confident with the material, then the rejection wouldn't have been that bad. So, so you're, you're telling me that you I know I wrote some good shit. I don't care what you think. <laughs> I, I should have like sang the poem to her, like to her window instead of just dropping the, the poem in the mailbox. Right? It would have been more confident. You're just singing. Just own it, man. Uh, like, no, knock on the door and like, yeah, well, I got these poems, girl. <laughs> you know, the problem is, is uh, some guys have watched one too many romantic comedies. And right. what that they was my problem. The things, well, the I things that guys, the things that guys do. Alright, well, the things that guys do in romantic comedies is going to get you arrested in real life. Okay, you fucking have an orchestra <laughs> show up in someone's backyard and start playing Mozart at three in the morning. She's not going to be impressed by that. She's going to be calling the police. You and the whole orchestra are going to be in handcuffs before the night's over. <laughs> you stand outside somebody's window in the middle of the night with a radio, you know, blasting, you know, the favorite song you hold over your head. Dude, you're trespassing. <laughs> hey, and I don't even like that kind of music. Get the hell out of here with that. I don't even like trap music, man. What are you doing here? <laughs> but you know, I treat those those big demonstration of like emotions and big movie scene-like events are actually more common with people with high glutamate. The high glutamate actually increases the desire to create those big, see those big moments. They, they, hmm. they just amplify the emotional response. So that's why I think we have more and more of these kids who are just trying to do the crazy stunts just to gain attention. Yeah, when you're living off like Fritos and, and Monster Energy drinks, what do you expect? <laughs> you know, right. You yeah. know? And Starbucks. Something's you know. bad bound to happen, right? Right. It's not going to end well. No. Yeah, I mean, your your essential your neurotransmitters have way more impact on how you think and feel than how you think and feel affects your neurotransmitters. Just like your hormones have way more impact on how you feel than how you feel affects your hormones. So if you're eating in a way and living in a way where your neurotransmitters are depleted or Mm -hmm. imbalanced, and your hormones are depleted or imbalanced, you're going to be a slave to the conditions you've created. It's almost absolutely. It's almost as if you don't have free will at that point. You're, you're a slave to the no, message you're not getting. You I don't. My seminar. Your, your neurotransmitter and hormones dictate your initial reaction to a situation. Then right. when these neurotransmitters create a response, what happens is that your brain goes into its memory. And then it, it looks for situations that were similar to what you're living, and they, and they like use that as a programming to how to behave. So, yes, you can change the way you feel and behave when you are faced with a situation, but the trigger, the emotional, the emotional response will always be dependent on your neurotransmitter levels. Then after that, the, those neurotransmitters start a computer program that will make you act a certain way, but the way you act will be dependent on the information you have in your computer. So, yes, the nature versus nurture is an argument, but not really. Because the nature initiate the program. The, na- the nurture is the content of the program. So both are important. You cannot compensate for your brain chemistry, and you will never beat brain chemistry. You will never beat your hormones. But you can right. change them by optimizing your nutrition, optimizing your training, optimizing the way you live your life, and also doing work on yourself. Because... One of the big problems is that the experience you have, they are charged with emotional memories. So you need, if there's one big negative 
emotional memory in your brain that makes you act in a destructive way every time you have a trigger, you need to change the emotional load of that memory. That requires work, that requires maturity, because you need to work on yourself, you need to recognize a problem. But the initial trigger, the point is that you cannot control your brain chemistry. Your brain chemistry controls you. So you need to do everything possible to optimize your brain chemistry for your own personality. It's not just about neurotransmitter levels. It's about the, the sensitivity of the, uh, of the receptors. Because let's say that personally I'm born with a very high adrenaline or adrenal receptor sensitivity. So I respond very strongly to adrenaline. That will be right. different than someone who responds very strongly to dopamine. So my dominant neurotransmitter is adrenaline. So me, the worst thing that can happen is adrenal burnout, or what we call what we call adrenal burnout is really more a desensitization of the adrenal receptors. But to me, if that happens to me, I will be depressed, even suicidal. For other people, it will be serotonin depletion, or it will be GABA depletion, or it will be dopamine depletion. But depending on your brain chemistry, we have, all have strengths and weaknesses, and we must optimize it so that we will be able to be the best version of ourselves. But we cannot change our, the way we behave. We cannot change the way we feel unless we change brain chemistry because it triggers the start of the computer program in your brain. You can change the program, you cannot change a trigger. Right, right. And that's where, like, shadow work comes in, you know, in the play right there, what he talked about in psychology. But to do shadow work, you have to face those demons that will make you trigger, that will yeah. trigger you to behave in certain ways. And most people, they want to avoid that at all costs. They're so risk averse. They're like, no, 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 I don't want to think about that. Or they even, you even see people now, which is crazy to me, you know, that, you know, we're in a generation where even just to post something on your blog or whatever else, you actually have to put the disclaimer in the in the post, you know, a trigger warning before you even start talking about anything, whether it be rape or whatever else. It's like, you know, man, it's like, you know what? Maybe they need that trigger. They need that so they can start now dealing with it and, and start moving forward because they're obviously still stuck in the past and they're still looking right. back and not moving at all. And that's not that's not helping. That's not how he yeah, works. Well, I mean, it means you're a slave to the condition that you have. So if, if a trigger, if you go to a comedy show and someone makes a joke that hits a little bit too, too close to home and it bothers you pro, immensely, that's your problem. That's not what the performer said. So that's an issue you need to work but, out. But, but you can't, how do they you can't expect that? The, they to censor itself. Yeah, how do they, how do they do that now? They want to censor those people now. So now they don't want those comedians, you know, they want to shut him down or they want to cancel their show or they don't want this professor or this person to come and speak at this university because He's speaking about things that trigger me and it makes me uncomfortable. Well, guess what? That's what communication is all about. People are going to say things that you don't like. That's the way life is. Not everyone is going to tell you everything that you want to hear. And you need to find some way to deal with it. You need to be an adult and grow the F up and, and learn how to deal with it. So you can either continue to listen and, and, and see, like, oh, what can you learn from that experience? Or just simply don't go. But you don't sit there and try to shut that person down, especially in a, in a country where you know, free speech is protected by, you know, the law of the land, you know, by, right. you know, by the Constitution. Right. So if it's free speech, somebody, it doesn't mean it's only free speech for you. And that's what a lot of these people. I mean, free speech is, is the most important yeah, thing consequences to protect. That come with it. And where we're losing free speech on multiple levels in America, I mean, right now it's illegal to film what goes on in factory farms. Worst animal suffering you could imagine. It's actually illegal to show that. That's considered an act of terror. 
So if someone's in there, even let's say an employee's in there going, man, this is horrific. Let me start filming this because the world needs to know that person could be imprisoned for that. A big lobby, right? Well, that, exactly. Yeah. I mean, when when the companies actually have laws that protect them from ever being sued, what do you expect? You know, and you know that, and that happened from a president that no one even expected. But so anyway, when you, money is, but the money has more more like leeway than any, than the people do. So that's what kind of sucks because you got to just follow the money, and it just sucks that that even even happens. In well, it's a, it's a, it's a two prong like, like problem. problem. It's a two-pronged problem in this situation. What, on one hand, my phone and I'm filming. You know, I'm going inside like a, a a death camp, and I'm filming it. You know, or I'm about to film a beheading that I see across the street, but I don't want to get beheaded. But I see these dudes doing it, and all of a sudden, I get picked up by the government because I'm a terrorist. <laughs> you know, yeah, so the death camp is, terror, the death camp is okay, but filming the death camp in, is in those countries where it happens, you would get picked up for that because they don't want no, the public no, showing no, that. You'd be locked. You no, forget no, about going through the criminal justice system. You'd be locked away in a dungeon somewhere, never to be seen again. <clears throat> right. But even in our country, America, this kind of stuff, it, it's illegal to show this footage, and it's for two reasons. One, if people saw that footage, in it, and there's a lot of footage that's already out there, but there's a lot of that footage isn't current, because what's current is even worse than what we've seen out there. If enough people see that, it's going to have a very negative impact on your business, because you can only turn away for so long. And if you're bombarded with this footage enough times... You're going to have to make some decisions in your life. You have to decide what you're comfortable with, what you're comfortable supporting or not supporting. So the key is to keep people not only disengaged but misinformed. You go to the grocery store. You go buy your meat at the produce section. It comes in this nice little wrap package. You don't make any connection. You're not thinking about where that came from or what price was paid to deliver that to you. And then you just go on your merry way. The, the problem also is that people want to be deluded. People always say, oh, doctors just give out pills. That's true. But that's also what people want. They go in there and go, hey, right. hey, Jim, you can change your diet and we can get your HDL cholesterol down. Or I can just give you Lipitor and you can just keep doing what the fuck you're doing right now. And nine times out of ten, people take the pill. Right. Yeah. Hey, it was, hey, it was easy. <laughs> and that's another issue, easy. <laughs> people choose easy. So, but nobody wants to change their behavior. You know, so, so it's like, okay, you got to do a lifestyle overhaul or we can medicate you. It's like, well, I'll take the medication. And I can go back to watching eight hours of TV and exercise for me is getting off the couch and walking to the mailbox. <laughs> and dropping off poems. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, man. Well, well cool, Chris. Christian, what do you have going on? What's go, what's coming up? Do you have any courses you're doing? Or are you giving any lectures? Yeah, yeah I'm, uh, I have uh, seminars pretty much the, for the next two months, next six weeks. Then my wife's uh, giving birth, so I'm going to take one month off of any seminars. Great. Uh, still doing online coaching and working with uh, working with a uh, the one I, I really enjoy the most right now. It's a, a member of the national bobsleigh team. For some reason, I've always loved printing oh, bobsleigh cool. guys. People don't realize how great athletes they are. They are basically yeah. the sprinters and Olympic weightlifters of, of the Winter Games. He just um, the guy front squatted uh, 210 kilos, back squatted wow. 235 or triple. Uh, power cleans 150. Uh, just usurper squat 500 pounds, which is crazy. 
and he ran wow. uh, 3.7 30 uh, meter. Very, very explosive. I'm really enjoying working with him. The guy is, is a super nice person. Uh, but mostly seminars right now. So it's, uh, this weekend I have a symposium, the CanFit Pro, which is like the only 90 minutes presentation, which is very, very easy. Uh, then it's going to be a seminar with Paul Carter at uh, Chris Duffin's place in Portland. Uh-huh. Yep. And then, um, and then it's going to be mostly seminars for uh, the Good Life chain on the importance of the neurotype dominance, the neurotransmitter dominance and personal type on the training program, diet, and interaction with the client. So that's what I'm right. teaching right now. Mostly. And I'm also working on an hypertrophy course I'm going to be teaching uh, across the world the next year. So that's pretty much uh, my pro plate right now. Of course, waiting for my uh, my kid to be born. Originally, I wanted to call him Thor. Uh, it didn't go well with the <laughs> wife. So Thor is going to be actually his second name. So it's going to be Jaden. Jaden Thor, so it could be JT, which is pretty good, pretty cool. And then moving into new houses, yeah, that's pretty much full schedule from there now. It's great, man. You have a lot of good things cool, going man. on right now. Congrats. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's been awesome. It's the, the best time of my life. That's great. That's great to hear. Well, hey, man, it's always a pleasure. Where can people find out more about you? What's your What's your Instagram handle, Twitter, and website? <laughs> yeah, you can go to Instagram. I'm, I'm Tim Army on Instagram. It's, uh you, you won't see any naked pictures of me. It's mostly pictures and video of my dogs. Uh, <laughs> and also, uh, 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 Christian Thibodeau on Facebook, tibarmy.com, and also still write articles for tnation.com. So that's pretty much where you can find me. Perfect. You're, st- you're still I'm really bad with Are you still involved with T-Nation, or that those are yeah, previous yeah, articles? I still, write, okay. I still write articles for them, yeah. Well, it, it, okay. Really, it's, I've been there for 18 years. And wow. it, it, they do have a, a big reach, so I want to get the message uh, message across. Yeah, sure. I, I yeah, that's great. Right. Hey, T Nation was the first website that I ever got paid to write for. I mean, it was early in my career. TC gave me opportunities when nobody else would. So I, I'm always grateful to T Nation. I got, I had a two of the two of the main things that pushed my career forward were one being involved with Pavel and his organization early in my career, mm-hmm. and then writing for T Nation. What happened with What happened with who? What happened with Paolo? Is he still working with you? I, I, I mean, I, I'm not friends with him. He and I had a falling out when I left his organization, so I didn't keep in touch, and I don't keep tabs on. I'm not even in the kettlebell world anymore. I'm, I'm doing more focused on my supplements and doing the podcast with Sincere, so I don't really keep tabs on what goes on there. I'm assuming he's still doing what he's doing. I, you, should, you should be working toward establishing like a, a neurotype uh, branch to your, to your, your supplements. Well, funny, funny, funny you say that because I have a pre-workout drink, which is also a neurotransmitter optimizer. It improves dopamine, it improves acetylcholine, and then it also improves hydration. It improves nitric oxide levels, and it increases ATP. And it's done. The formula is fucking badass. I, I should have samples maybe this week, next week, definitely right. soon. Once I get the product done. I'll definitely send you some containers to try. No stimulants whatsoever. No caffeine. No stimulants. Uh, I really hate. Pretty much, like ninety percent of the population should never touch stimulants. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. This, this, this supplement. This supplement I'm coming out with. I mean, just one serving has three grams of tyrosine, wow. and it has four hundred wow. milligrams of alpha GPC. So just those two ingredients alone are great. You know, then it's got four grams of citrulline. <clears throat> got glycerol in there, which is great for hydration, giving you more of a pumped look, several grams of that. Yes. So it's really it's good, man. Look 
you pump like crazy. Oh yeah, citrulline just citrulline alone gives you massive pumps, yeah. but citrulline and glycerol you get serious pumps. Glycerol is so underrated. It's so I, I, I've used it with, with completely underrated. Profile, yeah. Before before going on stage, it's it's awesome. It just keeps you hydrated and full. But when you have, when you're on a low carb diet, it's great because it keeps those yeah. muscles full when you're. It's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hundred percent. It's it's also great for people who take creatine. It helps with uploading that. Yeah. Now, creatine yeah. is not in the supplement because to me, this is a supplement that you don't take every day. It's a pre-workout supplement. And my attitude about creatine is is you, creatine is something that has to build up in your system. It's not something you just take yeah. once and notice a difference. So it didn't make sense. I'm not even in the wanted it anyway. You never what wanted it. Not oh, everybody yeah. wants to grab the creatine anyway. Right, right. Exactly. That's the other thing. Some people have issues with it and so forth. And people that are taking it, they're already taking it. They're not looking for to buy a supplement that has creatine in it. I've been, I've been taking creatine since I was 22 years old, probably actually earlier than that, 20 years old. And I'm 44 now on and off. So I mean, it's people that, people that know about the benefits of creatine are using it. They're not going, oh, man, I never thought about taking that before. I think it actually has more health benefit than muscle building and strength benefits. I mean, oh, I, I just wrote an article. Yeah, I'm working on an article on that. There's, there's. Let me pull it up right here. I'll just give a quick synopsis. But there's, there's more and more research coming out about creatine. Where is it? Yeah, I mean, it lowers inflammation from intense exercise. So post exercise improves brain health, lowers myostatin, helps with yeah. Parkinson's. Fights neurological diseases, improves blood sugar levels. Yeah, the, the the benefits of creatine are just additive. They just keep coming out. The more that's researched, the no no nutrition supplement is more researched than creatine. It's extremely mm-hmm. well researched. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the, the the myostatin thing to me, it's it's a really really big thing in my opinion, and that might be the reason yeah. why creatine is actually good for building muscle, uh, even without the performance aspect of it. Uh, oh, yeah. I think it's it's really like, uh, misunderstood. And just like for example, I, I, it's not really related to that, but I, I recently I, I read a study that showing that lactate, like lactic acid itself, is anabolic uh, because it right. decreases myostatin by increasing follistatin and also increase satellite cells. So if you have more satellite cells, you have more material to rebuild the damaged muscle fibers. So the lactate actually promote recovery from a training session and makes you capable of building more muscle. That was really interesting for me because, you know, right. again, old school bodybuilders were right, even though it was instinctive and not for the right reason, the pump does stimulate muscle growth. Yeah. So it, to me, yeah. it, it makes me question the benefit of you of utilizing something like beta alanine, for example. Right. Because beta right. alanine will decrease lactate. So do you really want to decrease lactate? If you're in a sport right. like a 400 meter dash, yes, it's going to improve performance. But if your goal is to build muscle, I'm not sure you want to minimize lactate production. Right. That's a good point. And that's one of the reasons why beta alanine is not in my pre-workout drink either. Yeah. That and the fact that if you're going to use it, it takes time to build up in your system. You're not going to just also. take one dose and notice a difference. But I, 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 I wrote down every ingredient that I thought would be useful, and then I cut out anything that I felt was unnecessary. And that's how I got it down but to – Three grams of tyrosine. No more than six. Sorry, what's that? Three grams of tyrosine is, is a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be running naked with that. <laughs> <laughs> three grams. Not only is three grams of tyrosine, I mean, to me, that's the minimum effective dosage. That's where you actually really? start noticing the difference. Three to six grams of tyrosine, you feel fantastic. One gram of tyrosine. A lot of these supplements that are out there, these neurological ones, 
They have maybe 300 milligrams of tyrosine, 500 milligrams of tyrosine. That's not going to do jack shit. I've, stepped to 100, I've, I've seen one up to one gram, but that's the highest. I've yeah, seen. I, I would say one gram is the minimum where you, you're going to feel something. Three grams, you really feel it. I've gone as high as six grams, which is incredible. Wow. <clears throat> tyrosine is How also the most expensive. It's the most expensive ingredient in the product. So my formulator was advising me to switch it out with something else. And I said, look, it's got to be in there. Otherwise, I'm not doing this product because it's the most important ingredient. And it's got to be in there at that dosage. So I'm not doing any proprietary blend bullshit where you don't know how much of each ingredient is in there. It's all listed. And three grams of tyrosine is, that's expensive, which is why nobody uses that much. A T Nation did with Power Drive, which was my favorite supplement that they made. Yeah, it was three grams of, yeah it had three grams of tyrosine. It had so it had a gram of phosphatidylcholine. Now, alpha-GPC yeah. is superior to that, and you only need 400 milligrams. 400 to 800, you know, is a big difference, not only in acetylcholine, but also a growth hormone increase. And this, only, this product, you know, this product's going to be awesome. Uh, the cool thing with acetylcholine that people really don't understand, because it's not just neurological. Acetylcholine, first, it, it does increase muscle contraction strength by directly impacting the neuromuscular junction. Basically, your muscles become more receptive to the neural right. drive by your nervous system. But also, right. more importantly, at least to me, the acetylcholine increases the power of the stretch reflex. The more acetylcholine you have, the stronger your stretch reflex is. So if your oh, goal really? is to be explosive, be fast, it's, it's one of the best supplements you can take. Well, that brings up a separate point, actually. I started doing deeper squats, right? I've been doing low bar position. I, I always go past parallel, but just recently I decided, eh, let me switch it up a little bit, place the bar a little bit higher so I can go deeper. And what I'm finding is that I don't go ass to grass, but I go way past parallel. And what I'm finding is that when I hit a certain point, if I go, it seems like the deeper I go, the stronger I come out of it. I feel stronger. Um, I, I, I haven't lifted more, so let me predicate this, this, this sentence with that. But I definitely feel stronger going deeper in terms of the drive coming out of the hole. Yeah. Well, one thing I teach when I when I talk about establishing someone's neurological profile, uh, so two profiles have a naturally higher level of acetylcholine. I suspect that you are the the, the type one B, which is dopamine dominant, but with right. also with high acetylcholine. So these guys That's have great coordination. They are very imaginative. They, they are out-of-the-box thinkers. They love speed. They are impatient. They are competitive. Now, because they have a high, normally most like the superstar athletes are of that profile because they also have great coordination. They learn new movement very easily, but they are naturally more explosive because the acetylcholine increases the efficacy of their stretch reflex. Like you have so those people who are like more brute strength kind of guys, they have low acetylcholine. They will be, they can be very strong, but they don't have any explosiveness. People with high acetylcholine, right. if they have to use a slow tempo or pause lifting, their strength will go down significantly. But when they can use a stretch reflex or put the muscle in a stretch position, they're going to be a lot stronger. That's why these right. people, they, uh, uh, they, they, they need to be allowed to use acceleration when they need to. That's the other thing. I get a lot of acceleration, but it's really that stretch reflex, which I wasn't getting just yep. going to parallel or even a little bit below parallel. You got to go several inches below parallel. Then you get that stretch reflex. And this is something yep. Mark Philippi told me all the time. He said one of the biggest mistakes people make on squats is they stop short. Yep. And then it's just your knees trying to reverse it. He goes, if you go deeper, it's going to feel somewhat awkward, but you're going to come out of the hole with more ferocity more acceleration intensity and he was he's a really deep squatter very strong when he was a strong man yeah. competitor
Now, a, a good example is uh, like a, a former Polish Olympic weightlifter. His best front squat was 230 kilos, okay, so 500 and something pounds. And his best right. clean and jerk was 233 kilos. He could actually clean and jerk more than he front squatted because when he would catch his clean, he would be forced to go down a lot lower because the bar crashes on him and it pushes him down, creating a much stronger stretch reflex, allowing him to stand up with more than his front squat 1RM, then jerk it afterwards. So you can imagine how strong that guy's stretch reflex was. But oh, the, yeah. I mean, even, even with deadlifts, I'm stronger off the floor than I am doing partials four inches off the floor because I could get that dip and drive. I can drop my hips and rip the bar off the yeah. ground. You can't do, do you that when you're doing partials. Do you use a dynamic start, like pumping your hips a few times before lifting? I don't, but I've, I've had people recommend that to me before. That's something I'll have to try. Just someone with a, with more of a stretch reflex nature, that's something that works really well for them. Because you, yeah. you create that pre-stretch in the hamstrings, allowing you to be stronger off the floor. So yeah, normally a guy sense. like you would be much stronger on the second rep than on the first rep. That's but that's my that's the way I used to be. Now if see the thing when I do deadlifts, I get a very intense dip and drive. At least it feels it doesn't look that visible when I watch myself do it, but it feels that way when I'm doing it. So the first rep almost the first four inches feel like they're free. And Andrew so Durney, the, 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 the dip and drive does create the stretch reflex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if I if I drop the hips and rip the bar immediately, the first four inches feel free. In other words, like you didn't have to put any effort yeah, into it. And so then the rest of you drive your hips through. Yeah, yeah. But if you want so the to second, so the second and third rep, I don't. Yeah, I don't generally feel stronger on the second and third rep because I don't do the dip and drive on each successive rep. I mean, I drive, I I get back to the starting point, but. It's, the, once the bar hits the floor and I, I just drop my hips and rip the bar off, it's not it's not as intense as the first rep. But but if you were to start from a purely static position, you'd be much weaker from the floor. Oh, hundred percent, no doubt about it. Yeah, so no doubt about it. Very huge difference. Yes, it and I'm pretty sure that you are someone who can uh, multitask very easily and can also run more than one project at one time, which also signs of ISTS coding levels. Yeah, that's probably accurate. I mean, I'm working on my book, Mollerisms, and I'm designing this nutrition supplement. <laughs> I'm doing both of those at the same time. So that's, I think that's accurate. By the way, what's the book about? Mollerisms, it's, it's more of a fun. It's basically just quotations from yours truly. It's kind of like my version of Marcus Aurelius's meditation. What, what, what are you putting my, on your Twitter? My, well, my grandfather wrote a book called Mollerisms, right? And he was a... He wasn't a motivational speaker, but he was a guy Fortune 500 companies hired to come in and help revolutionize their businesses, make them communicate better and so forth internally, et cetera, better management strategies. That was his whole thing. So when he passed away, I was going through some of his things, and I came across this book called Mahlerisms that he wrote a long time ago. And I wish I had a copy of it still. I was, it was with my uncle, so I read a good chunk of it while I was there, and then I just left it there. But anyway, it was it was really good, and it was just quotations on a variety of things. Some of them business related, some of them life related, some of them were really funny. And I never knew him as this person. I mean, I I always knew what he did for a living, but I didn't really see that side of him because I was still a young man when he passed. But that book that book just made an an indelible point impact on me. One of those things that you just store away for later purposes. So then I started just coming up with these quotes, and I would put them up on Twitter for fun. And then the ones, and then I started coming up, I, then I came up with this theme of, I say something and at the very end, 
there's no telling how messed up you can get. Yeah. Like yeah. for example, I mean, once, you once you blow once once you blow all your money at the casino, there's no telling how messed up you can get. Once you don't know play yeah. basic strategy and you play blackjack, there's no telling how messed up you can get, right? And what I found is that that really resonated with people where people would respond to that. They would respond back to me with their own versions of that you know, to people who are really getting into it. So then I decided, okay, for the first volume, it's just going to be that theme. So it's Mahlerisms, volume one. There's no telling how messed up you can get. And what's funny is I was talking to a, a friend of mine in Sincere's as well, Dr. Julio Garcia. And he, he, he was, he, he follows all my work. So he and I were just going back and forth on it. And he goes, man, the ad copy is already written for this book. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, all you got to say is, if you don't buy this book, there's no telling how messed up you can get. <laughs> That's, <it. laughs> That's good. Yeah. 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 So that's what I'm working on. I'm, thinking, I'm, almost, done with that. I'm almost done with that. <laughs> and now I'm uh, now I'm oh, hearing myself oh, echo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I already said I'm almost done with that, Mike. Why are you saying it again? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm almost done with that. But anyway, I, I'm just that kind of person. I, I I have multiple interests, right? So I'm generally working on multiple projects during the same same time. There's only so many things you can do well. In the time frame, though, for me, it's not more than two projects I can do well, but not more than that. Well, especially if they are like, like creating a supplement, most people think it's it's easy. But if you want the formulas to be like really good and really, yeah, it's very it difficult. Does a lot of studies. It does. Some yeah, and the pre-workout one I've been working on for years. Yeah, it, it, it is difficult. It's easy if you don't want to make a good product. You just put together a bunch right. of bullshit, which is what most supplement companies do. And then they spend, most companies spend 2% on formula development and 98% on selling it, right? Marketing and mm -hmm. so forth, sponsoring a bunch of athletes who don't even use it. They're getting paid to say they use it. That's what most nutrition supplement companies do. Now, me, I don't pay anybody to say they use my products. And I don't spend any money on marketing and promotion either. What I do is focus on creating a great product because I figure if I create a great product, people are going to use it and they're going to use it again. And then they're going to tell people about it. And that's how a small businessman like me can compete. I can't compete with marketing budgets and advertising material and all that bullshit. But where I can compete is that as a small operation, I don't have to worry about profit margins as much as a bigger operation has to worry about. I don't have to dilute products to make it sellable. I can make it as potent as I need it to be and not worry about the cost or the profit because I only have to pay myself. I don't have to pay five employees in advertising budgets and so forth. Yeah. That's awesome. I can't, I can't wait to see the, the pre-workout supplement. I, mean, I really think that the neurotransmitter thing is great product. Because the cool thing with neurotransmitter is that you can actually see results in minutes. Oh, yeah. You'll notice it on the first workout. To me, a pre-workout drink, if you don't notice an improvement the first time you use it, then why are you taking it? You know, it's not something that should have to build up in your system. So every ingredient in there should be something that you notice on the first time you use it. Otherwise, there's no reason to have it in there. This is why most pre-workout drinks, they just put in excessive stimulants. They have caffeine, caffeine analogs, ephedrine analogs, and they just jack it up. The majority of the product is that, and then it's diluted with everything else. Basically, if Kool Aid, if Kool Aid and Starbucks coffee, you know, had a baby, it'd be a pre-workout drink. That's pretty much right. all it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> most people want that stimulant effect. 
But you know, the thing about stimulants is I've taken pre-workout drinks before where, I mean, yeah, your adrenaline's through the roof and you're like, fuck yeah, man, I'm going to go to the gym and crush. And the whole drive over, you're blasting Slayer <laughs> and you can't wait to get in there. And then the second you get in there, boom, you have an adrenaline dump. And your energy's gone and you have a yeah. shitty ass workout. Yeah. You don't want to go into yeah. a workout with this adrenaline bullshit. In fact, I like to be as calm as possible before I start training. I listen to, I listen to George Michael half the time when I'm driving to the gym because I want to be in a calm state. Once I get to the gym, yeah, I switch it to Slayer or I switch it to something more intense. But I don't need to be all amped up on the drive over. Right. Save it for when you're there, you know. On top of that, you start as soon as adrenaline is high, you are producing cortisol. So that's right. why you want actually to minimize right. adrenaline. Uh, Alexeyev, the great Olympic weightlifter, used to say that you should never train on the nerves because training right. on the nerve means right. a very high adrenaline, which comes yep. at a cost. It, it, it yep. will decrease your recovery, even for, from a muscle growth perspective. Yeah. So that's Subsequent why I never really yeah. the, the stimulant craze. And most people are in such an inflammatory state, they're producing cortisol all day long. You eat a shitty meal, yeah. cortisol goes up. Your body's damaged, cortisol's going up. You go do a workout where you push beyond your reserves, cortisol's going up. You know, cortisol's an anti-inflammatory hormone, so if you're in this inflammation state all the time, you're constantly producing cortisol. Yeah, and cortisol itself will make you insulin resistant. So that's a right. double whammy right there. And it right. will just crush your T2 level. So cortisol will, will crush your, will, will slow down the conversion of T4 into T3. Your metabolic drops down and you start gaining fat. Now, cortisol is a mobilization hormone. People think, but, but yet cortisol can make you fatter because it makes you insulin resistant and it, it slows down your metabolic rate by decreasing the T4 to T3 conversion. So why in God's name would you want to increase cortisol more than absolutely necessary? That that just boggles my mind. Right, right. We should do an episode next time you're back on, just talking about cortisol because you're you're extremely knowledgeable about it and you're bringing up a lot of interesting points. It's gonna be another three hours. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> you know you're not busy. <laughs> Let's take a ten minute break and then you can come back. We'll talk for another three hours. <laughs> I, have to go, right. I have to go to the bathroom and then write a poem. <laughs> well, that explains why you learned. Now we know why you know so much about cortisol. I mean, you've, after all the cortisol increase from those poems you wrote many years ago, I'm sure you. Yeah, I'm just crying about them. <laughs> cool, man. Great information as always. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for being so forthcoming with everything, your personal struggles. That was great. Cool, guys. So, yeah. see you next time. And thanks you for, uh, for having me again. Pleasure, man. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, guys. Take care, man. Take care. Well, that was a fun one, man. Christian's always great on the show. And I think that oh, might yeah. have been the favorite episode with him because we got into some other and really he's so knowledgeable on so many things. But it's nice to hear exactly. people's personal struggles as well. Exactly. It's, it's something about in a world where everybody wants to be so perfect and they, they only want to post the perfection that they think that they have in their lives. It's good to still have people who are vulnerable, but at the same time, not victims of that vulnerability as well. So it's a nice balance. It's a nice balance. Even when people post their personal struggles, but then it's a picture of them that where they're at some happy place. I was like, why are you posting a picture of yourself smiling where you look like you're happy and then you're talking about your personal struggles? You know? <laughs> like a current like a current personal struggle. Like I can see if, you know, you had a really crappy day and you decided, you know, like, look, man, I, I'm still – I didn't let that beat me. I'm still going to persevere through this day. Yeah, I'm smiling right now. But, yeah, like someone had just posted, like I saw yesterday, 
you know, she posted two pictures where the first one, she was smiling. I think it was like the first selfie of the day or whatever. And the second one, she was crying. And each one had, you know, I'm okay. You know, she was just making a point that, you know, even the strongest yeah. people, that people we look at and think like they're all strong or whatever else, they go through shit too. And, you know, even when people say they're okay, you know, they may not be okay, but they just don't want to sit there and bitch and complain about it and look for that attention. They just deal with the stuff. And that was the point she was making <clears throat> with that post. You know, there are some people, you know, you think they're strong all the time, but they got this. People are human. They go through things, no matter who you are. But it's right. just some people choose not to tell the whole world when everything is going wrong and then just harp on that and let that be their platform or whatever. Right. Or let it right. deter them. So that's what a lot of people end up doing. It's like one or the other. It's like when stuff goes wrong, it's like I want to tell everybody how wrong everything is every day. Okay, everything's wrong every day? Really? Then we might want to call like professionals because you're probably on suicide watch. If that's the case, man, it's not going to end well for you. You know, you your life's kind of in danger. Some people, uh, some people well, share everything's way all too much. You know, personal life should be sacred to me, man. People share way too much about their personal life. And my attitude is right. the more you share, the less control you have over your personal life. I don't need everybody knowing my right. fucking business. Are you fucking kidding me? So yeah, sure, certain right. things I'll write about in my book, struggles and so forth, but. I'm not going to be posting shit every day about what's going on. Number one, I don't want to talk. Right. If I'm dealing with some problem, I don't need to talk to people about it. I certainly don't need feedback from strangers on social media. Yeah. I need to figure that shit out. I need to spend less time on social media, more time figuring exactly. out <laughs> the solution to the problem. You know? I'm not saying you should never share anything personally. That's First of all, people should do whatever they want. I'm just saying why, like why I don't balance. do certain things. Yeah. Like there's, there's, I'm not saying you should never do it, but there's, there's, there's negatives to doing it that you should be aware of before you do it. So All right, balance. let's wrap up <laughs> before we get disconnected. <laughs> let's, let's balance out the rest of this day by, you know, ending the show. <laughs> so get out into the world. Because our dogs right. are looking at us all crazy right now. They're like, enough, humans. <laughs> We're going to wrap it up. Use that coupon code LLA. Go get the best nutrition supplements money can buy. MikeMahler.com. Look out. Get on my newsletter list so you know when my new pre-workout drink, which is called Conquer, is going to come out. Because there's going to be special deals Uncle. for people on my newsletter list. So don't fuck around with that go. shit. Don't don't complain going, oh, man, I just heard about it and it's sold out. It's like, yeah, it's going to fucking sell out no matter how many units I buy because this shit is off the chain. So get on the newsletter list. And in the meantime, go use that coupon code. Go get my testosterone booster, Restorezyme, Recovery All. Go load up on it. Reasons why you should take it are there. Support the show. Support us. Yep. And then also hit up Patreon. Keep that support going. Patreon.com slash LLA podcast. Become a monthly subscriber and get these shows way before everyone else. Now, I've made a point to really drive that home now for all the freebies out there. So throughout the month of July, that was pretty much, well, the month of July and beginning of August was pretty much all about the Patreon subscribers first. Right. Hey, man, right. you got to look out for those people that look out for you. That's how I feel about right. it. You know, uh, some of the free people are like, oh, I haven't seen. Yeah, you just you just hold on, freebie buddy. <laughs> to my or like I said, you know the alternative. The alternative is become a Patreon subscriber. It's really it's not hard. Five bucks a month is where you can start, and then you can choose from there. So, but like I said, I'm gonna look out for those who look out for us. You know, if right. you're just listening for free after all these years, you're not looking out for us. You're looking out for yourself. So I'm just right. taking a page out of your book. I'm learning from the best. <laughs> so on that note, so make sure you share these episodes on social media, whichever one you choose. And uh, other than that, we'll catch you guys on the next episode. So take care, everybody. All right. Take care, everyone.